Just a quick note before we get started with tonight's feature presentation. This episode marks the beginning of Season 2 of the Video Store Junkies. We had a lot of fun putting together the first 21 episodes, which comprise Season 1, and we ended the year with over 3,000 downloads. This might not sound like a whole lot, but for a podcast which I lovingly refer to as Garage Quality, and which we fully admit involves a lot of digressions and distractions during our normal three-hour episodes, we're all glad that so many people took the time to give at least one episode a listen. Season 2 kicks off with the back half of our Living Dead coverage, Land of the Dead, which you're currently listening to, and then Diary and Survival of the Dead in the coming weeks. After that, we have a lot of new content in store for you, including tackling more beloved franchises, more hidden gems, and probably a few more installments of the Video Store Junkyard. From myself, Paul, Renee, and Bill, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you in the Video Store in 2022. And one final note, we love movies, but we also love television almost as much. So 2022 also sees the launch of a new sister podcast, The Cult of the Cathode Ray. Every week we'll bring you a new episode tackling a single episode of some of our favorite shows. For our inaugural season, we're covering season one of The Walking Dead. So if you like zombies, search for Cult of the Cathode Ray on your favorite podcast provider, or just head over to cultofthecathoderay.com for links. Welcome to the 21st ever episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. And after a bit of a hiatus, we are back in the video store this week, and we're back in the horror section because we're picking up a series that we've been talking about for quite some time now. It's been 20 years since the last installment, but finally, George A. Romero is back with his newest zombie film. As we know it. They must be destroyed. Is no more. Cities are under siege. The land of the living has become. Feeding up human flesh. The land of the dead. If these creatures ever develop the power to think, to reason, we're all dead. In one last outpost. It was my ingenuity took an old world and made it into something new. We have survived. Rivers protect us on two sides. I put up the fences to make it safe. And these fences go all the way across? Both ways. But if the living can adapt. Things are changing. These guys are not just walking. So can the dead. It's like they're pretending to be alive. That's right, this week we are talking about 2005's Land of the Dead. We've already covered Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead in previous episodes. So if you haven't listened to those already, maybe go back and check them out and come back to this one or, you know, whatever. Listen to this one first. I, I'm not the boss of you. Anyways, we're going to be talking about this one today. We're going to be, as always, diving into the background. We're going to be discussing the plot, the actors, the characters. We're going to kind of do everything. Before we get into it, though, let's introduce ourselves and... As always, let's just talk about like who we are and also just give a little bit of a thumbnail in terms of like what our relationship with this movie is. And Renee, let's start with you this week. Who are you and uh, what's your relationship with Georgia A. Romero's Land of the Dead, as it is officially <laughs> called on the movie poster? <laughs> My name is Renee St. Aubin, and uh, I have no relationship with this movie. Um you know, after seeing the movie, we just decided to go our separate ways. So um, that's, oh. yeah, the standing of that. Um, it's okay, though. It, it's fine. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay, great, great intro. 
<laughs> Bill, who are you, and uh, are you still seeing Land of the Dead, or have you gone your separate ways? Uh, well, I'm Bill Mulligan. I'm a high school science teacher, indie filmmaker. Next October, I'll be a published writer. Seems like forever away. I'm still writing the sequel. I gotta send these things to you guys and just tell me it's good. Don't even bother reading it if you're not it's gonna great. say that. I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's awesome. This is exactly Amazing. what you should have done. Yeah, uh, I got a lot of doubts here. But um, so my relationship to this, I mean, oh god, you know, uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead are two of the major movies in my life. You know, in terms of influence and the direction that everything went. So I'm ride or die with George Romero. And I was very happy to to see that he was making Land of the Dead with a budget and everything else. And I, you know, I we've got to still watch the last two, but I would say without question, this is of the first four. This is a distant fourth. I'm not saying that it's a bad movie or anything. It's just that it's nowhere near the first three. And and for reasons that we'll get into and everything, I, I find kind of fascinating. I watched it again this morning just to you know refresh my memory. And uh, yeah. sometimes, you know, you get what you think you want, and it's <laughs> not really what you needed. Uh, George Romero always worked with way too small a budget. And finally, he was given a decent budget. And I don't think it led to a better film. I, I, I wonder what Land of the Dead would have been like if he had to uh, scrimp a little more. I mean, this wasn't a big budget movie by any, but for a George Romero movie, it was a huge budget movie. Um, I think I would have liked it more if it was back in the days when it, all the effects had to be practical because that's all that could be afforded. And therefore, there would have been a lot less of them. So, I, you know, I have a complicated relationship with this movie. On the one hand, I'm happy, 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 happy that Romero was recognized and given the chance to play in a big sandbox and everything because he's a guy, you know, who had the talent. I'm glad that he lived long enough to see his influence and all and had the chance to make a few of the movies and, you know, to varying degrees of success. But this is one of the less involving movies. You know, I, I, I felt more watching this movie way more so than the first three. I felt like an observer. You know, yeah. I guess we'll we'll talk about it and everything. So it's a complicated thing. I I, I appreciate the movie. It's got some good stuff in it, um, but it's nowhere even close to my favorite of his movies. And I actually almost wonder. I'll have to watch them again. I don't remember loving um, Diary of the Dead or Survival of the Dead, but I will not be stunned and shocked if I don't end up liking them better than this one. Oh, interesting. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have to get to those and it will be, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to dive into the discussion here and talk about, uh, why we feel about this film, uh, yeah. the way that we do. Uh, I am Zachary Edgerton and my background on this film is I was working in a movie theater in 2005. I had been into <laughs> the living dead films for probably, I think it was like the late nineties. I, I usually want to say it's like 90, 97, 98, because as I've said multiple times, I was not allowed to watch like R-rated horror films. So I didn't actually see the, any of those until like the late 90s. And as soon as I watched all of them, I fell in love with them. So uh, that was around the time that there had been rumors about Romero making a new movie. Obviously, it had been, you know, the Day of the Dead came out a year after I was born. So, it, you know, there had not been a new one in my lifetime, basically. 
So I was very excited to see it. And we, like I said, we'll get into our like thoughts and feelings. But uh, just, I guess, to sum it up, I remember liking this movie a lot more <laughs> than I did on a rewatch. But uh, hmm. that's kind of my, my background and my experience. So I've watched it a couple times since. It had been, you know, probably... God, I don't know, probably a good 15 years since I've, mm-hmm. uh, I've or not, uh, I guess 10 years, because yeah, it came out about 15 years ago. So it's probably been a good, you know, seven, 10 years since I've watched it. So, and it's very interesting to, I don't think I've ever really sat down and watched all of them kind of in sequence in close, you know, succession. So it was kind of interesting watching this in relation to the other ones uh, with those fresh in my mind. So Anyways, that's it for us, I guess. This is our panel. We got Renee, Bill, and myself. And normally, uh, so we, we have we have a kind of a loose structure of these things, uh, depending on you know how much we decide to just veer off and talk about whatever the hell we want to. But normally we do a little bit of background on the film, and then we get into the film itself. And for these movies, we've been kind of structuring the conversation in three sections. We have The Living, where we talk about the actor's and the characters they portrayed, the humans, the, uh, the the still living people. And then we get into The Dead, which is about the zombies, kind of how zombies have changed and evolved over the, se- uh, the series of the films. And we can also talk about some of our favorite featured zombies, because this one has a couple of them. And then we get into a section that for this one we'll call The Land of Romero, where we kind of talk about behind-the-scenes stuff, some of the people who, you know, probably... Uh, some, some of the cinematography, music, stuff like that. And then just also about, you know, if we have any things to say about the setting and the, you know, overall, I guess, themes and stuff about the movie. So that's kind of our very, very loose structure here. Like I said, it's, it's if you've listened to any of these before, we usually veer off uh, pretty quickly and pretty far. So we'll see how, how long we stick to that structure. So I guess let's get into the history of this film first. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't find a whole lot of really interesting stuff. You know, there's been so much written about night, dawn, and day. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I, I could do. I felt like I could do research on those. Didn't actually find a whole lot about this one other than, like I said, you know, Romero had been working or he, I think he had been wanting to make another sequel for a while. It had been kind of rumored for a long time that he was going to do another one. I, I, this one was, I think, originally there were a couple titles, Land or uh, Land of the Dead. This is the name of the movie, Twilight of the Dead and Dead yeah. Reckoning were the two that uh, I, I remember hearing a lot when I was, yeah. you know, first getting into them and started reading, you know, internet rumors. But uh, Dead, yeah, Dead so, Reckoning was the one that I heard the most about. And yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember listening to you know what they were talking about, and it just. I, I got terrible Damnation Alley vibes from it. Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? Damnation Alley is amazing, and if you get Damnation Alley, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, I just that was, I, wasn't I, that I, that was supposed to be the big science fiction movie of whatever seventy seven, oh, whatever oh, year Star Wars came out. Yeah, you're talking you're talking about the uh, you're talking about the movie. I'm talking about the book. Yeah, oh, no, the oh. movie's not great. No, notable for having, I believe, a young Jackie or Earl Haley in it, uh, if I remember correctly. But other than that, yes, and and, totally and young, forgettable. not horrifying looking Jan Michael Vincent. So, <laughs> there, well, okay, now uh, stay tuned for our next episode where we talk about Damnation Alley because uh, that actually sounds pretty fun. But yeah, uh, but yeah so so Dead Reckoning, obviously, yeah, uh, named after the the vehicle featured in the movie. And then Twilight of the Dead was the other kind of title that I heard a lot because obviously that kind of fit in that, with that follows that, that yeah. you know, night, follows dawn, day, twilight. Yeah. Makes yeah. makes a lot of sense. Uh, golden hour of the dead. I mean, they're running out of, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. Funny now when you try to like search for Twilight of the Dead, it just comes up with a, a bunch of stuff about Twilight. Yeah. So it uh, shows yeah. you how <laughs> times have changed. Um, but yeah, I couldn't find a lot about like uh, specifics on how he secured funding. Like Bill, like you mentioned, this was his by far his biz- biggest budget. I think they cost around four million, which was back in 1985. So you know, accounting for inflation, that's that that would have been more in 2005, but uh, two, uh, or 2004 when they shot this. But I believe the budget on this one was around 18 or 19 million, which was just yeah. a massive budget for him. Now, it's it, the, yeah. part of the thing about that, he might have been able to raise that for day, but he insisted that it go out unrated. And with this one, I think he finally basically threw in the towel and said, OK, we'll deliver an R rating. Right. Of course, the other thing is by ne- by this time, by the time he made this one, he understood that, yeah, we'll make an R rating, but we're going to release the unrated version on DVD, that'll probably be the one that's seen more often. Cause if you're at the video store back, which we had back in those days and yeah. you see the, you know, unrated version or the, I'm a big pussy, let's rent this one version. <laughs> you're obviously going to go for the unrated. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, 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 you know, you can say, well, he, he sold out, he compromises artistic vision. It's like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's been one of the great things of modern movie making, that you can make an unrated version that has all the stuff you wanted, but for whatever reason they wouldn't let you put out, or it's 18 hours long, or whatever, you know, whatever nonsense you came up with. So, yeah. but I think well, that's one of the reasons why he was able to get a good budget for this one. It was going to be R. That's that makes sense. Yeah, I did. I did find an interview with him where he was talking about the fact that I guess after Day he wanted to make a sequel, but then Day actually didn't do great at the box office. Mm-hmm. But then it did really well on video, and he said that it's kind of like that was kind of the progression of. Uh, I think that the similar thing kind of happened with Dawn, where it wasn't a huge hit initially, but then it was kind of big uh, afterwards, and that's how he got the money for mm-hmm. Day. And then eventually, you know, Day was successful enough that he got the money for this. This is, yeah. I believe, the only. I actually don't remember uh, who, who the distributor for for Diary and Survival, but this was released by Universal Pictures too. So this was like. I think the only living dead movie from him that got like a big time distributor as well. Uh, so that's, oh, yeah, that's it's, it's awesome memorable. seeing that black and white little airplane going yeah. around the, the planet in yeah. the opening scene. Yeah, that is very cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I don't have a ton of other details about the history on this one. Does anyone else have anything they want to talk about Renee? I know sometimes you do some digging. Uh, I don't know if you were compelled after watching this one to do a lot of research, <laughs> but <laughs> I actually really did not do any research okay. at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I will say I agree with the little plane that was flying around when it first started. I thought, oh, shit, did I get the wrong movie for this? Yeah. So yeah. did I. So did I. I was like, oh, what? whoops. <laughs> yeah. What What the hell could I have, you know, put up instead? No. I remember seeing um, that. Yeah, the, I remember seeing this a lot in Fangoria. I mean, this one, more than any of them, was following the production and everything you know so fangoria gorezone whoever whoever the big mags at the time were oh yeah were were well it was i mean it it was huge news if you were a horror fan it was just a massive massive thing because Mm -hmm. it, it had been 20 years since you know the last one romero had made a couple movies in the interim but he i think he what he made like three or four movies i think since then but none of them, I think, were as successful or as popular with horror fans. Yeah, I'm so trying to remember. Was, he, the, there was the there was a couple was, with Stephen King. There was the um, well, it's the dark, dark half, half, and then was it Two Evil Eyes? Monkey after, shines, Monkey shines, and then Bruiser. 
but yeah, I, I don't yeah. think. Well, actually, Dark Half's pretty decent. Uh, I think I think a lot of those though were kind of you know not not as successful or not as popular. But I mean, either way, even if you love those movies, this was basically the master's return to you know right. his creation. So, and this is kind of like I mean, it's kind of similar to when you know Ridley Scott came back to do an alien movie uh in in multiple ways uh the the, mm-hmm. the hype that was surrounded it and also the uh kind of the result in my opinion but uh so yeah I don't like I said I don't have anything else uh if 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 we don't have anything else to discuss in the history of this movie we can yeah. dive right into our discussion of the movie itself sure cool well like I said, we usually start out with a little section I like to call the living. And this is where we talk about the living characters, you know, the people who have survived and are living in this post-apocalyptic living dead world and the, uh, the you know, the actors that play them and the characters themselves. So uh, let's dive right in. I think this movie actually does have some pretty fun characters in it and some actors mm-hmm. that are uh, some, more, some some actors that are definitely worth note and worth discussion. So Let's kind of start at the top with, I guess, the character who's kind of, if, if this movie, I mean, this is still kind of an ensemble film, but a little bit less so than the previous ones. So I think that if this movie does have a protagonist, it would be Simon Baker as Riley Denbo. Does anyone have anything to say about Simon Baker as Riley Denbo in this film? Because I sure don't. Yeah, <laughs> he's not terrible. It's just he's, he's not, not terrible. Memorable. He's yeah. not terrible. That 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 was that was the note that I made was like he's not bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he did a fair job. Yeah, and look, look, I love George Romero. I love George Romero. I mean, he's, he's one of the most influential uh, artists in my life. But I don't think George was necessarily a great writer. Um, yeah. of characters and and things and, or dialogue it's it, he's not terrible but not memorable this it's not that there's a lot of really great lines in in the movies although sometimes the actors manage to find something some delivery that makes it a great line they're coming to get you barbara it's it's <laughs> it's not that that's an awesome line but the way the guy says it and the way she reacts to it is amazing now that's part of the director too I mean, you know, he's the one who made sure that's how it got in there. But for a hero, Riley, uh, you know, we're told he's heroic and he does some heroic things. He, you know, and now every time I see it, I'm always looking for the save the cat moment. And it's, you know, he tosses a handful of antibiotics to Mulligan, well-named, um, <laughs> you know, for his kids. So we know he's a good guy. He's he's a good guy because he does good things. And, but... I don't know. He seems just you know, a little bland. There's not a, there's not a lot there. And I'm not blaming the actor because what yeah. was he given? Where would you know? Where would what was he given that would let us root for this guy? Totally root for this guy. I think I think um, I actually just had an epiphany, Bill. I think what's that based on what you were saying? So, you know, Romero and this is something that came up in all the interviews I watched for this movie. This came up in basically every single interview or any anything you read about any of these movies everyone always mentions what a collaborative filmmaker Romero was Mm. and how, you know, a lot of, he would basically be willing to take uh, suggestions from anyone. If, you know, if an actor wanted to play something a certain way, even in this movie, apparently some of the most memorable moments, uh, like Dennis Hopper and John Leguizamo just kind of ad-libbed and he was, he was fine with it. So I I think that actually, I think, okay. And, and this is, you know, I don't want to rip Simon Baker. 
Uh, I know he listens. I know he's been listening to the whole <laughs> series, waiting waiting for us to get to Land of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that a lot of people's moms love him on The Mentalist, and you know he was a huge <laughs> huge success in that. Ah. So I don't feel so bad. <laughs> but I I, I kind of wonder if maybe he went into this not really. Like he went into this, he I don't want to say he took it too seriously because I don't want to say that these movies aren't serious, but there is a certain like quality to them where if the people involved aren't really on the same level as mm-hmm. the film, or if they if they if they if they go like he 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 was basically playing this as a like hero character as it would be in any other like Hollywood movie, and it like you said like it's. Romero's not I mean Romero's a decent writer but a lot of the things that really make his movies memorable are how the people like reading the lines portray them and he he's basically just kind of playing it very straight and like very white bread and I don't know man mm-hmm. it's it's super boring again he's not bad it's just man he's the he's like the most forgettable character in any of yeah. these movies up to this point yeah I <laughs> on, that being said I kind of didn't really even realize he was there until about halfway into the movie and i was like oh it's that guy from that show yeah (laughs) yeah i did i did have to look it up because i was like especially now i'm like i i know that he looks familiar and i've never even seen that movie or that show i just know it's like it was very popular and you know his face was all over the place i okay one thing i will give him great credit i did not realize that he was australian until I heard an interview with him. So uh, he does a, a great, uh, I guess, American slash Canadian. Apparently American accents are pretty easy to do. Yeah. In a way, because when Americans do English accents, English people are always like, that was terrible. You know, that that's <laughs> awful. But yeah. we, we're like, we, we're shocked when we just, we hear these people talking in their actual voice and we're like, oh my God, he, he just yeah. had us down pat. So I guess we're just easy to bamboozle. I, you know, I, I guess the character needed a flaw. Or yeah. something, you know. I mean, oh, I'm trying true. to think what what's his. Yeah, you know, and they could have done something with that. I mean, what's his deal? He's he's really good at what he does. He's the only thing holding this all together. He's but he wants to quit. He wants to quit. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's the thing. Why does he want to quit? Did he lose someone? What what's what's burned him out of this whole thing? And that would have given us something to to grab onto because then for the rest of the movie, he's totally not quitting. He's getting more involved. He's uh, and and he's getting involved because he was in jail for shooting a right. dwarf, um, which is apparently still illegal in this post-apocalyptic yeah. world, even though we really had it coming. Um, you know, so, so there's no real heroism there. You know, this is, the, they could have made him kind of a Mad Max sort of figure, just all burned yeah. out. Then he rediscovers his humanity and all he does good things, but yeah. we don't, I don't really get the sense of, you know, that this is a compelling, he just sort of falls into it. I think that's actually a great point because, like, I think that the he's kind of comparable maybe to like the Stephen and Roger characters from Dawn, but like both mm-hmm. of the because you know just because those those guys are kind of supposed to be uh, I guess like I get well he's not law enforcement in this movie but he is kind of in charge kind yeah. of and yeah you know what I'm saying but he like both those characters are really memorable and really great and played really well but they both definitely have like flaws that make them actually very believable. And yeah, this, th- mm. that's actually a really good point. <laughs> he, he, this is, this is written as kind of like the like chiseled kind of perfect uh, <laughs> Hollywood hero, which is not something that Romero usually does. Right. Right. I don't know. So, Renee, do you have, uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, so there we have Simon Baker. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do feel like we're, we're trashing the guy and I totally, I think it's totally not his fault. 
no he, no he, he did what he did what he was written to do mm-hmm. yeah i i think i like like i said i i actually that that was kind of an epiphany where i think that i think that he maybe just wasn't yeah, maybe it just wasn't like a good fit for him to like you know come in and not try to kind of project him, you know, or project like really weird idiosyncrasies. Cause I think, I think that's the, that's the thing about like all the, all of his other characters are just like very kind of idiosyncratic and like, I don't want to say over the top, but they all have things about them that make them very memorable. And he's just, man, there's just nothing. And he could, I feel like he could have added something. He could have added something to the performance, but he played it very straight. It's probably not fair to, you know, to rely on actors doing improv because not all actors are that way. You you hear a lot of stories, you hear a lot of stories where you've got some of the cast, they learn their lines and they speak their lines exactly the same way each time, unless the director tells them to do it a different way, then they'll do it that way each time. And then you've got someone like John Leguizamo, who I'm pretty sure never delivers the same line twice. He said that. Yeah, I watched an interview with him where he's like, yeah, I just try to do something a little bit different each take. Which is actually like I, I think I've heard, uh, uh, man, I, I can't think of a good, good example now, but I swear that I've heard uh, certain movies where like actors would get mad at other actors for not mm-hmm. like yeah. for improv- improvising and like it's like, improv-ing. It's like Bell Lugosi on the uh, you know uh, on the show where the guy was just ad libbing and he's trying to do his lines and everything. Then you got Dennis Hopper who probably can't remember to do the same line twice. <laughs> well, we'll get to that because. Leguizamo had some comments, some very kindly worded comments about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's also because like, I know like Simon Baker looking at his filmography, like he comes from TV, like he had done movies before this, but I think he had also done a lot of TV where mm-hmm. like, usually if you're on a TV set or you're, you know, you're in a TV production, they uh, like network television productions are probably not big on, Hey, just, you know, improvise. Uh, Cause they, you know, they shoot on very tight schedules and they're all like, you know, they're, they're very, they're not, uh, they're not like a Romero set where it's like a little more collaborative. So I don't know, maybe, maybe he was kind of pulling from his experience on TV and, yeah. uh, maybe it just didn't serve him very well in this one. Uh, so yeah, Simon Baker, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Once again, I'm sure. Yeah. You're a good are, dude, man. Yeah. You, yeah. You, 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 well, I, I don't feel so bad. Cause like I said, like, I know like he was, uh, let's see the mentalist ran for like seven seasons and I think it was huge. So. I'm sure he made a lot of money, so I'm sure he's he's not yeah. Uh, yeah. he's not so mad. Um, and I've never heard anything bad about him. He doesn't he doesn't oh. have uh, a Zia Argento's bad press, so you know he's he's doing oh, God. okay. Well, let's get to that in a moment. I I, I will say yeah, that, that's the other thing I I noted was like every single interview. I I I don't think I found any interviews with him, or I I didn't find any interviews with him. I don't think they uh, did any like contemporary interviews uh, because. There is the like uh, Scream Factory put out a new version of this, I think a couple of years ago, and they got some kind of contemporary interviews or they uh, contemporary when the the DVD, mm-hmm. the Blu-ray came out. So they they were basically interviewing people after the fact, and they didn't didn't get him probably because he was too huge after the Mentalist. But everyone that talked about him had good mm-hmm. things to say about him. So uh, I'm sure that he's a very, very yeah. nice guy. Uh, he's found yeah. a lot of success. I think it's probably good that out of all the people who showed up in subsequent zombie films, he wasn't one of them. So anyways, <laughs> um, yeah. hey, let's let's move on. You mentioned you mentioned someone else, uh, you know, that's pretty prominent in this film. And I actually I I, I don't think I found I, I, granted I didn't dig a whole lot, but 
I, and I don't know if you maybe you were kiss, kidding, but uh, Asia Argento as Slack. Uh, what's yeah. what? <laughs> tell us about tell us about the bad press, Bill. Oh boy. Oh Is well, she's press? okay. Well, <laughs> she seems very crazy, you know. <laughs> okay. But but you know, and and she kind of got involved in the me too movement, but then it was, then it sort of came out that maybe she was, she toing it. And there was just a lot of sketchiness. Oh her whole, yeah. Her whole persona and everything has been totally out there on the edge. And it's very possible she's gone over the edge. And then she was, she was dating that. Wasn't he like the, the chef or something that committed suicide mm-hmm. or. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and she, Right, oh. and then she got oh. she got blamed for that, which is a li- I think unfair. Nobody yeah, really knows fair. what goes on in a relationship, but uh, you know her star has has dimmed, and she was in her dad's Dracula 3D movie, which is really the most uh. more un- unforgivable thing, even than maybe being inappropriate <laughs> with children. So I was actually um, because yeah, I was, I was going through. I was like, I was going to ask you if you had seen that because I was like, wait, what? Oh my um, god! One day should... we need to do that. That with that that movie. <laughs> Oh, if you oh, had told me, if you please. had told me when I was a kid, oh, listen, uh, uh, Dario Argento is going to do a Dracula movie. I'm like, oh, I'm there. Oh, wait, hold on, Skippy. It's going to be in 3D. <laughs> I'm like, well, that, it can't get any better. It's like Rutger Hauer plays Van Helsing. I'm uh, like, oh, take my money. There's no way this can be bad. It's like, oh, yeah, and you're going to love the part with the giant praying mantis. I'm like, yeah, well, huh? <laughs> <laughs> which, which turns out to be my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> oh man it's it's, it's god awful but it's my favorite part yeah so yeah no one's star has fallen faster there's no huh. filmmaker i know who had a greater creative decline other than actually dying than uh right. you know, argento right so well, I, we, I don't know what to say we should, but, we, um, should we should take a take a pause here to mention for those for the people listening who don't know the connection or the significance so uh, yeah, I, as you mentioned, Agia Argento is the daughter of Dario Argento, the man who uh, I believe I, I'm paraphrasing here, but in certain interviews, George A. Romero has basically said is the man responsible in a large right. part for Dawn of the Dead, because he Argento kind of uh, let uh, well, he, he let Romero come and, and basically like, I guess, live at his house and write uh, Dawn of the Dead. And then he also put up, I believe, a lot of, or helped get a lot of the financing for Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. So he was basically the like one of the huge uh, factors behind Dawn of the Dead existing right. to begin with. Agia Argento, I, you know, R- Romero talked about the fact that she was like he knew her from when she was a kid. I think he mentioned that she was like on, you know, the set of Dawn when she was like three. Her first movie role was actually in Demons 2, so, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Lamberto Baba film. But uh, so, yeah, I, I, I admittedly actually oh, didn't read... watching watching Azia Argento grow up from a little girl into Azia Argento must be like, you know, being best friends with Marilyn Chambers parents or something, you know, <laughs> just. I, it's like, hey, listen, you know, you're a grown ass woman. You make your own choices, but you're like, oh, I remember when you were like, yeah. But um, as far as Slack, she's a hooker with a heart of gold. Yeah. She looks good in fishnets. Um, it's It sounds like a great premise to have this goth kick ass woman taking on <laughs> zombies. But I, 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 there comes a point where once we've introed her, and had the moments for the rest of the film. She's just there. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Renee, you, know, you sounded like you had some things to say about yeah, Argento. Please take it away. Oh no, that was really it. Uh, and I'll be honest, I really, I never knew who she was until the whole Anthony Bourdain thing went down. Um, no. So I had no idea the the connection and you know whose daughter she was and everything like that. Um, yeah, she's she's something, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I, I knew the movie was going to be troubled as soon as I saw her name on the credits. I thought, oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny because, yeah, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I, I have missed everything about her. I did not realize that there was, uh, mm. she, she had been in the news about uh, things like that. So, uh, but yeah, I, in this movie, I, I think, I think I kind of agree with you, Bill. Like, she's fine in it. Like, I don't think she's bad. I think, I think she yeah. maybe suffers from the same this kind of the same problem as like Simon Baker though. Like she's not really given a whole lot to do. She's not really given yeah. a whole lot of like interesting lines or interesting scenes. And again, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. She's just, I don't want to say she's forgettable. Cause I actually did. I, I definitely remembered she was in the movie more than uh, Simon Baker, but I don't know. I, I still feel like she's kind of, like you could easily write both of those characters out and just focus on yeah some of yeah. the other characters and the movie would be stronger for it. Yes. If, if he needed, if he needed oh. to boost up a good-looking woman, um, Pretty Boy, the the dead yeah. sure. driver, yeah, to 100%. me seemed like a character with some more potential. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. divided loyalties and has a marketable skill. She can drive that, you know, yeah. huge thing mm -hmm. until it runs mm -hmm. out of gas, which I'm guessing is ten miles after they leave the city. That that thing just completely yeah. runs out of gas, <laughs> Very and, true. and they they have to walk to Canada. So that's actually after they cut at the at the very end uh, when you cut the credits when they're kind of like going down the street. It's actually like five seconds after that they just stall out. And they're like, oh shit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we we didn't think about the gas. <laughs> oh man, I I totally just lost my train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> Azia Argento. Oh yeah, okay, Azia Argento. I like I understand. So I understand why her like. Her character, I understand kind of, you know, the motivations and she's like, she does kind of exist, like the whole scene where they meet her exists just to kind of illustrate like how kind of ruthless and heartless the, uh, I believe she says the man upstairs uh, or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whatever she phrases it, who we find out is Kaufman. But I, I don't like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I just feel like they, they could have done that in a different way. And, you know, they, they keep they keep kind of <clears throat> excuse me, they keep kind of coming back to that theme about, you know, how bad Kaufman is and how oppressive he is and everything, which is fine. But like that seems to really be like her only right. character trait. She pissed him off and then she was going to die. And I don't know. There's no real character arc or yeah. anything. There. Which Look, I've got a, I've got a lot of plot points to complain about. And here's one of the oh, ones yeah. is that go, for this for movie it. to really work in the social commentary that Romero intended, we should be rooting for the poor people against the, you know, the swells that are living up in Fiddler's Green or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's hard for me to really have a whole lot of sympathy for these folks who, you know, take bets and cheer when they toss a woman into a cage full of zombies. Mm. Yeah, these I, these people well, don't seem terribly, um, you know, likable to me. <laughs> that that part, that part. I mean, that was kind of like like that's kind of the bread and circuses part, right? And I mean, I guess mm -hmm. he he. I mean, he did show up. You know, there are all the other people kind of like living in the slums. There's the guy who you know he needs medicine for his kid and stuff. So 
Yeah, I guess yeah, he I guess seemed that... like a like he he had some good points and everything. Yeah. But the rest of them <laughs> you know, am I supposed to feel bad when the zombies tear these people apart? It's like, oh, oh, hey, shoes on the other foot now. Bet you wish you were in that cage with just two of them. Yeah. They didn't that, know who she yeah. was. She was one of them, actually. She was one of them. She, uh, I don't, you know. But okay, we'll talk more about the social commentary because I got a few bones to pick. I'm probably oh, man. way over reading things. Uh, but that's what uh, happens. No. That's what happens when your hero is not compelling and I have downtime to start thinking about stuff like, I don't know. I think this is bullshit. <laughs> well, yeah, there's the, I think we'll probably, I don't know. I mean, we can, yeah, well, we can do we'll that now or we can do that later. There's yeah. a, there's a lot to be said about all that. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, have we, have well, we I guess said, when we get to Dennis Hopper, it'll segue right into that, the social yeah, commentary, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, that's probably, that's actually probably absolutely right. So maybe we'll save him for last. Yeah. Uh, save anything, him. Anything else? <laughs> absolutely. No. Anything else we want to say about Ashi Argento? Before no, I just on. want to say we are the only podcast that pronounces it correctly where everyone oh, yeah. else is oh, like yeah. Asia Argento yeah. and I giggle, but, but I'm also the guy who in a podcast used the word uh, subsequent when I meant oh. to say subsequent. So yeah. who's the idiot really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, okay. I, you anyway. know, short, shorthand remembering her, her name is it's, uh, you know, it's like you're saying Asiago, but uh, uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, that's funny because whenever I think of her last name, I think of Argentina, which is like a brand of cheese, right? Oh, there so you go. Oh, so you have seen Dracula three D. So there's a there's a there's a whole there's a mnemonic for her whole name that just involves cheeses. That's yeah, great. Just cheese. Oh man, I'm gonna get hungry. Okay. <laughs> be... <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's let's move on. There are so yeah, I guess I guess we'll save John Lugas or not John Dennis Hopper maybe for for the yeah. very last because because that's where we can really get into the meat of some of the uh, the the messages of this film, I guess. But let's move on to okay. Let's move on to a, uh, a character slash actor that I'm actually very conflicted on, and that is Robert Joy as Charlie. Now, yes. I have a very odd take, or what what might seem like a kind of a, a weird uh, hypocritical take take on this uh, this this mm-hmm. character. I I hate absolutely hate this character, but I actually love Robert Joy's portrayal. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think I know exactly what you're thinking because I was okay. feeling. Uh, well, can I just throw this out there? Read just, my mind. Yeah. Read my mind. And I tell feel me like, I, I feel like he was supposed to be on the autism spectrum, but this movie was made before people really understood what the autism spectrum was. Yeah. So yeah. we get a mix of things where he's a little bit of rain, man, a little bit of the good doctor, but also a little, <laughs> a little quippy, bit of Lenny, just, yeah, a little bit of Lenny, but then also he's he's making some pretty incisive jokes and stuff. So it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. what is this guy? I mean, everyone everyone acts like he has a mental problem, but yeah. I'm not. But that's not consistent, and those things usually don't come and go. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. again, the I, writing I think was inconsistent. I I think he played it well, but it's very tropey. I, mm. I, I that that's exactly it. I I hate uh, I hate for for lack of a better word. I hate any character that I call it the simple Jack character, right? Ah, like, ah, well, here's the thing. Yes. Okay, here's here's the rule. Here's the rule. If you're making a movie, okay, if this if the movie you're making is not an adaptation of Of Mice and Men, do not put a character like this in it because it's mm-hmm. just annoying. 
Uh, maybe yeah. I mean maybe it's just me. Yeah, but I hate I just I hate the trope, especially like you said, it's kind of like that Rain Manny. Like he's a savant with with guns, I guess, but he's also slow. But he's also I don't know. He's also supposed to be like very likable, and he actually is likable because yeah. I actually really really like Robert Joy. I think he's an amazing actor. Uh, I actually had totally forgot this, but Robert Joy had this is actually the second film that he was in of George Romero's because he was actually oh, really? in the Dark Half. Yeah, he had uh, a he had a small role in the Dark Half. And uh, so, yeah, he, he had actually, he had uh, basically, he taught, uh, again, I was watching like an uh, interview with him and he was talking about, uh, well, you know, once again, this is the same thing that everyone says, but how great George Romero is because he mentioned that he got cast in the dark half and it was like a small role. I think he's in like one scene or one or two scenes and George Romero like invited him over to dinner at his house. And he was like, wait, what? Uh, because you know, <laughs> he wasn't the star or anything, but that's just kind of, and he was like, you know, that, yeah. that was kind of indicative to him of like, you know, the sort of person George Romero was. So, uh, really glad that oh, he was. God. I would, I would have to go to a surgeon to get a squee removal. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, I don't actually don't know if you were there, but, uh, one time about 10 years ago, we were at a convention that George yep. Romero was at and he was having dinner, like two tables over from us. And yeah, I was I do just remember. like, being in that room was like, just being you know, in just, the room yeah, was yeah. Yeah, the, the fact, the fact, I mean, and this is one of the great things I think about modern geek culture and everything two of, I mean, this sounds corny, I know, but two people who had such a big influence on my life, I actually got the ability the chance to thank them. One of them was the gentleman who portrayed Godzilla, you know, in like oh, the yeah. last year of yeah. his life, he came that. to a yeah. convention. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I don't know if he understood a word. I'll have to trust his granddaughter who was translating and George Romero just to tell him, you know, I mean, the, the fact that we're having this podcast yeah. only happened because I made a zombie movie <laughs> and met most of the people who are my friends now. Yeah. And uh, that, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, that wouldn't have happened. True. And it, you know, all you look at, you look at where you are in life, and you try to trace those roads back. And it's pretty easy for me, actually, because it all has to do with these movies that started this passion, these interests that then led me to other people with those interests. So yeah, yeah I mean, George Romero, and the fact that you know they say don't meet your heroes because it can be risky. But the yep. fact that George Romero, by every everything I've ever read and just the experience of being around him and seeing how he reacted with other people, was a genuinely nice guy who enjoyed, loved making movies and made them in a way that the everyone involved was like part of a family, you know, which is not always the case. That's for damn sure. Um, in fact, it's know, usually uh, it's almost never the case. Right, right. You know, yeah. so there's like, you know, there's the, George Romero style of uh, making movies and the Alec Baldwin style of making movies. And then most of them fall oh, into the middle. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> kick, a man, kick a man when he's down. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But anyway, I, but you, you know, it's, yeah. Well, it's, it's, so it just, he made, you know, he just was a good guy and, yeah, and it, that it, just comes across. If I may go off on kind of a personal tangent for a moment. Um, so I actually, I, I, I did not meet Romero at that convention because I think that, well, a, the line to meet him was like literally like around the building. B, mm -hmm. I think, I think it was like a couple hundred bucks to get his autograph. And that was, to, especially at the time, it was like a lot of money to me, but man, I wish I had spent that money and I wish I had stand, stood in that line just so I could have like shook his hand and just, you know, yeah. told him how much I loved his movies. Like, you know, a million other people have, so it wouldn't have meant anything to him, but yeah, I, I kind of actually Aww. regret. <laughs> yeah. But um, also, also another very, very personal tangent is actually funny 
because and I, I, for some reason I always remember this. You're talking about you know tracing back the lines of kind of like how you got where you are. The the movie theater I was working at when Land came out actually, uh, there was a guy working there who told me about a website. Uh, I think it's defunct now, but it was like TarHillFilms.com, and hmm. that you, you could use to find out about local film making. And I went to that website, and there was a casting call for uh, for zombies, and that is actually how I found out about uh, you know the movies that I got involved with and met oh, you, wow. So yeah, so it's That's very awesome. uh, you know it's all yeah. connected. Um, also, final note: uh, the, uh, the 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 translator when you met the guy in the Godzilla suit was saying, uh, "This is a sorry old man who watches children's films and loves them, <laughs> and he he wants to tell you that he Just... has no life." And the, the guy nodded and said, uh, "Thank you." Well, that's, that, that explains the big smile. <laughs> I, I'm glad Anyways. I brought joy to a 90 year old man. Yeah. <laughs> Well, oh man, uh, Renee, I, I apologize. Uh, I've, I've, I've gone off uh, as I do, but uh, w- bringing it back, what do you do? You have any thoughts or comments on either Robert Joy or Charlie the character? No, I really didn't. And again, it, it was it just <laughs> perfect. They spread everything out so much. I really did not feel compelled, really, by I think any of these people. Yeah, you know, yeah. Were you talking about like, were there like, just, were there just too many characters, yes. or uh, you know? Well, oh, yes. here's here's the here's the here's the thing, and and we can talk about this a little more when we talk about kind of the plot. But I think the problem I have with this movie is that I I don't think this movie actually has many more characters than I mean, like they had a you know plenty of characters. Yeah, Don had you know well you spend most of Don with a couple only like four characters, but I think that the problem this movie has in my mind is. It tr- actually, and this might sound weird, but it tries to have too much plot, and yeah. it, it tries like when you think about it, Don and Day don't really have a whole lot of plot. They're more about the situations and the mm-hmm. characters who are stuck there and how they're dealing with the situations. But this one tries to have like this, you know, uh, uh, like you said, Riley wants to leave, but oh, he, you know, his car is gone. And then he goes to jail and then he gets out of jail because he he can get uh, Cholo who stole Dead Reckoning. And it's like, it's just, yeah, it's, okay. there's a lot of plot how, there. Right? Oh, all right. Okay. Okay. Here we go with plot point. All right. <laughs> how damn hard do you think it is to find a car in this universe? I, I guess, <laughs> well, I guess, I guess the, it's a, the, a running car, a car that functions because this is a couple of years after. The, the vast majority of people, of, of the folks who drove cars are now zombies have not touched this car. Okay. This has been a few years and yeah, the gas got yeah. old. This Think is an easy when you, fix. When you These are not car... cars that had to be dragged from the bottom of a muddy river. Well, it, it's I, not going to take leaving... months to fix them. I think when you leave, well, yeah, I guess it's a matter of like getting, I don't know, getting the car back and, you know. There are know. cars in showrooms, cherry, candy, apple, yeah, red, uh, Maseratis or something. I don't know what, there's all kinds of good stuff. Now, that's maybe true. what they should have established is what they were doing with this car is not getting it to run but rigging it up with enough stuff that is, he's not going to yeah. be torn apart five miles after leaving, you know, putting in some uh, iron bars and neat looking uh, spikes and whatever, making a little mini version of Dead Reckoning. Yeah. That would have been kind of cool, you know, tricking it up so it looks like a road warrior mobile. But yeah, it just, it disappeared. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. a mechanic. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, this is true. <laughs> I know nothing about cars. So people will write in and say, you're an idiot. If you don't start your car every three days, it literally falls <laughs> apart in your driveway. I'm like, Damn. Thanks for the heads up. And I believe well, it because why wouldn't I? Great. Well, does anyone else have anything to say about Robert Joy? I mean, like, like I said, 
I, I actually like. I, okay, I, well, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, I think if, if this this uh, this character would have just been like completely awful and offensive if a, a less yeah. seasoned actor had played him. But I do think that Robert Joy brought some, you know, right. some. Uh, I don't know. He he did bring something to the role that made it bearable. I guess so. I guess that's how I feel about that. Uh, does anyone else have anything? Any other thoughts? It's a I fair think you assessment. It up well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, final note uh, on Robert Joy, and I think I've actually mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Uh, he actually had appeared in another film with Dennis Hopper, uh, a little film in 1995. Does anyone know what movie I'm talking about? Uh, I believe it was called uh, Aqua Planet. Was that the name? Uh, oh no, sorry. Oh, uh, oh Waterworld. Water yeah, he was in he was in Waterworld. If you he was the ledger guy in Waterworld. That wow. you know, Dennis, he's like in the D's and like Dennis Hopper is like you know asking about the, like uh, all their supplies. But yeah, so hmm. I will. Uh, he will always be a star in my heart because he was involved in that movie, which is amazing. And uh, speaking of amazing, let's move on to one of my favorite characters or actually there are a couple of my favorite characters but one of my favorite characters in this movie is john leguizamo as cholo and this is i guess the closest thing this movie has to a really interesting mm -hmm. prota kind of protagonist this is kind of Prota where like anti-hero anti-hero um, yeah who I, I don't know what you would label him uh either way he's far more interesting than any of the actual heroes so I wish that we. I wish the whole movie had been about Cholo. I don't know. What do you, What do you guys think about Johnny Legs, as his friends call him, and uh, his portrayal <laughs> in this movie? I enjoyed him so much. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed him a lot, and I honestly thought he kind of actually was the protagonist until Simon Baker showed up like halfway through the movie. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Oh, he's supposed to be okay. All right. Yeah. But I thought he so he's just fun. You know, pretty much every movie you see him in. So, yeah. yeah. And he, he definitely dialed it down for this movie. Mm. Um, a, little, a little John Leguizamo can go a long way. <laughs> that um, is true. You know, but I, I mean, thought for this one, he was true to the character. It was it was dialed down. Um, I, I didn't feel like he was... He's not a likable, truly likable oh, guy. No. His, the, the only likable thing about him is kind of that Dennis Hopper is worse. It's like the old yeah. joke about, you know, exactly. they're at the guy's funeral and they're like, can anyone say something nice about him? And someone calls out his brother was worse. So, yeah. you know, that that's about it. Um, I, you know, I, so, I almost talking, talking about these characters and, and the, and the actors and everything. I kind of wish the movie had just been about Cholo and I wish they had just like get, given, like get rid of the other characters and give him like an actual arc where he's, you know, maybe he comes around to being a little more likable you know, he's an asshole to begin with, mm -hmm. but then he, you know, he does, he does have the, yeah, I guess, yeah. save the if, cat if moment he'd been the one that has, has the moment where he starts, you know, working for the people instead of just, you know, being a corrupt, he's, he's kind of like, he could have been like the, uh, the Claude Rains character in Casablanca, you know, he's a, he's a corrupt guy who's taking advantage of the system. He knows he can't really affect any change or anything. And so he's just, you know, just doing what anyone else would do in that situation, but then comes around and finds the inner hero within. Uh, maybe that's too much, but something like that. I mean, I think there's there could be a cool story arc here. There really isn't. Um, but he is an interesting character. So there's that. I just, uh, I don't know. I You know, part of the problem, again, get to the plot now. Um, yeah. It makes him look dumb. 
that he seriously thinks he's going to get into Fiddler Green. Yeah. Just because he's, you know, he's been a useful uh, thug to this guy. And, uh, you know, Luca Brasi doesn't get to sleep in the mansion where, uh, you know, Don Corleone sleeps. That doesn't happen. Yeah. You're, you're, and he's like, you're I've useful. been working for you for three years. Like, yeah. Three years. Working for you for three years. <laughs> Woo, well, okay. Of course, in this world, actually, that was a pretty funny line because the implication is like, surviving for three years is like having a full, you know, 20 years that you put into a company. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually kind of, kind of cool. But the thought that, you know, this guy who hasn't even been paying him, owes mm. him a ton of money. And now this guy comes and says, okay, I've retired now. I, you've gotten everything out of me you're ever going to get. Now it's time for my reward. It's like lucky Hopper didn't shoot him in the head right then and there. Yeah. It makes him look pretty dopey. I think I think he is like I I don't know I kind of like that though because I think he is kind of supposed to be like he thinks he's smarter than he is and he yeah. thinks he's gonna get he you know he thinks he's gonna be the guy who talks Kaufman into like you know giving him all this stuff and then Kaufman's just like to him he's basically just a bug that he's you know he can squash at his convenience mm-hmm. if he wants to. Yeah, does he really think he's going to be sitting around with all the swells there sipping orange juice, which they get from God knows where? Yeah. Um, that was part of my problem, too. The people in Fiddler's Green were living too well. That, okay, so listen. Economically, none of this makes sense. I realize the the what they're doing here, the haves and the have-nots, and the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, blah, 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 blah. But it makes no sense in this scenario. There's not enough can You know, the fact that they're talking about money, and I'm like, money? Money for what? That part, does, that part made no sense. The fact that he, he got all work? his bags of money made no bags sense. Bags of money. So he's going to run off to some, some other city and discover that in that city, um, you know, uh, all the money that they use is actually wampum or something <laughs> or, or paper that has Aaron Rodgers on it or whatever the oh, hell. I mean, God. dollar God. bills would be worth nothing at all. Nothing. Zero. Anyone who goes to a bank can just clean it out and instantly have lots of it would be useful as toilet paper because it could be reused and that yeah. would really be the only function of those benjamins so it was dopey if it'd been bags yeah. of gold i might have like yeah you know gold will probably always be worth something but only if somebody wants it it, it just it made no sense so so the the wanting to it, it, this is always the problem with some of these i think the worst thing that ever happened to george Romero is when someone told him how uh you know politically great they were and then he felt like he had to stick that into everything. Mm. Um, this one is so forced. It's so obvious. And it makes no yeah. sense. What, how the, what are the people, what do the proletariat do? I mean, what, what do they do? What, they're in a city, so they're not growing corn. Um, they're not producing anything. There's no factories. What do they do? The, the, the military is putting up a pretty ineffectual uh, fences against the zombies. The rich are simping Mint Julius up there that they get from the ravager, you know, the scavengers going around. <laughs> you know, what, what is, how does this work? Am I asking too much? Am I, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into an <laughs> no, obvious allegory. I, I, don't think, I don't think you're reading. I, I honestly, I wish that I, I, I almost feel like the whole money thing, because I was thinking the same thing when I was watching it. I was like, this could almost be solved if someone like actually comments on it in the movie. And, you know, because there could be a commentary there about, oh, yeah, money's worthless. But somehow, you know, these people have been kind of so trained to think that money is the most important thing that even when it's, you know, worthless, they're still coveting it. But 
you never had that would have been that actually would have been a funny that actually would have been a pretty cool bit if if uh, hopper like explain that to his butler or something and just, you know, in an amused way about, you know, this is worth nothing. Let's see. Right. But, or like, or like yeah. if you're in power and you tell the people that the money is worth mm-hmm. something, I guess, you know, that's you could, you uh, could actually you know. make a really good scene out of that because in a sense, it's kind of true. Money is worth what it's worth yeah. because we have faith that it's worth that. Yeah. And if, if the day ever came when well, people just woke up and said, you know, it's just a, it's just a piece of paper with a number on it. It's got no intrinsic value whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And in a and see, this is this is my problem, and this is my own fault. I've spent way, way, way too much time, which is any time at all, thinking about what an actual zombie apocalypse would be like as a mental exercise. Oh yeah, we all have. We all have. If you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> you these you all movies, have. You've, got, yeah. you've got several yeah, exactly. zombie plans, most of which involve hanging around people who can't walk as fast as you can. Um, so, you know, I've thought about that and the walking dead to its credit is much more reasonable in, in terms of imagining what societies would form, what kind of tribes would form in this post-apocalyptic world. This one is, is more of a cartoon version of that. It's, it's hard to imagine exactly how they got to this place and it's impossible to see how they're sustaining it. Yeah, I think I think that's that's definitely like one of my problems with this movie, like because in in, in day, you know, they're down in a bunker and you're like, OK, why are they mm-hmm. down in the bunker? Why are they saying but it, they don't linger so much on the details that you question it too much. Whereas this one, like I mm-hmm. said, there's there's more plot. And I feel like in trying to m- probably like do a deeper and I'm doing air quotes here, social commentary, he actually kind of shoots himself in the foot by kind of like making it easier to pick apart all these issues yeah. with, with the, kind of the plot and kind of just the, uh, the, the world building, so to speak, isn't quite as strong as it could be. But I will say the critics, the critics that like this movie, that's what they really well, liked about it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about the critics <laughs> at some point. <laughs> uh, I have some thoughts on that. So, uh, I will say like getting kind of back to, to, to Johnny legs as his friends call him, uh, I think that he, I love his performance in this. Like, I do, I do think that he's, you know, he's a very fun actor. Uh, he's also, you know, he's one of those actors that he's a lot of fun, but he's also, I think he's, you know, he, he is a serious actor and he takes it mm-hmm. seriously. So uh, he, you know, talking about the things that Romero kind of like let people improvise on. And apparently some of the best parts uh, of his character were improvised. I believe, oh man, I, I can't remember the, the the exact line. I didn't write it down, but I think Romero said that like, he has some line about like God left the phone off the hook or something. I think that he said that he improvised that. And then also the scene where he's like uh, at the very beginning there where he's talking to Charlie and Riley and he like flicks his cigarette at Charlie and Robert Joy was like, yeah, that he, he, that was improvised. He, we didn't discuss that or anything. And then my character reaction was like very, uh, very real. So, and he actually said that that was uh, Robert Joy said that that was like one thing that he remembered about like, yeah, that, that was actually a really, really great part because, you know, obviously he's he's throwing a, a lit cigarette at him and, you know, Charlie has mm-hmm. like he's been burned. So. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think I think uh, I think John Leguizamo understood kind of the nature of the George Romero filmmaking style better than some of these other people, because I think he kind of he kind of took that, uh, the, you know, Romero gave people permission to kind of improvise and kind of, you know, work come up with their own thing and john leguizamo kind of took that and ran with it and i think that's why his character is probably one of the most memorable in this movie 
And he's got a good send off too. Although again, let me nitpick here. I lose a lot of sympathy for characters in a zombie movie when they allow themselves to get bitten on the hand yeah. or something, because I would be wearing a suit of armor in this universe. <laughs> yeah. And also these zombies that are just shambling brainless hulks turn into ninjas when they need to, they can slip up on you. Like you should have heard this one coming a mile away, but anyway, so he gets bit and then it also, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're going to get to the dead and the dead are kind of evolving. That's cool. But then why does his freshly killed zombie instantly have more brains than, you know, zombies are supposed to have knows how to use a, you know, a gas uh, dispenser and stuff. And it has a purpose and is going, going for uh, Dennis Hopper, even after he's kind of, you know, I, yeah, I think I think you're thinking of, of Big Daddy. D Big Daddy's the one that uses the uh, the gas pump and puts it in the car. Oh. Yeah, but but John Leguizamo just really? like comes at him. Oh, and, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah, because the, the yeah. whole scene is he, he's at least he right. knows he's he's the guy he wants to get. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, you're right. You're right though. Well, that was and that I kind of like because that was like his dying thought, right? Because that's he he I basically tells his friend, yeah. "Hey, don't kill me. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get him before I die." And so that was like basically, okay. basically his last. All right. So I, I, I withdraw everything I said, because actually that makes sense because we established <laughs> yeah. in Dawn of the Dead, when a flyboy turns into a zombie, he knows exactly where to go. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have, you have so, that short term memory. So maybe if you die with thinking, you know, I got one thing on my mind, that, that one little intense thought, I got to go here. I got to do this is the one thing I got to blow my trombone. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta blow my trombone. I gotta play my trombone. I gotta play this chamber. Oh man, I gotta really nail this tambourine solo. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what? Uh, after after years of training, that's pretty much what I would sound like on the trombone. So <laughs> also what I would sound like on the tambourine. So yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, any other thoughts on on John Leguizamo or uh, or the character of Cholo before we move along? Um. <laughs> I think, are we going to segue into the hopper? Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, we can. Yeah, we, we can. Oh, do you have somebody else? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Right, uh, yeah, no, no. I mean, this is, this is free form. Are you going to get so, to somebody else first? Well, I, oh, well, here, let me, let me do a segue. Uh, we can do that. Uh, so, of course, John Leguizamo also starred in another movie that we've already covered on this podcast, which is 1993's Super Mario Brothers. I can't remember the episode number, but go back and look at it if you haven't, mm -hmm. uh, if you, if you haven't listened to it. Or just listen to every single episode to find it. But it's a great one. Uh, but there was another actor in that movie who, uh, again, like the, I was listening to some newer interviews and John Leguizamo actually mentions uh, working with him on Super Mario Brothers and this movie. And that is Dennis Hopper, who stars in this film as Kaufman. So, yeah, take it away, Renee. Well, you know, it's really the reunion I think the world has been waiting for. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. But it's and that's perfect that you mentioned that again because I actually was very curious their working relationship because I am convinced that John Leguizamo was high in both Super Mario <laughs> Brothers and at <laughs> least one scene of uh what was this called again? Land of the Dead. Land of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very memorable movie for yeah. me. Um and I wondered to myself, is it because of Dennis Hopper that he's like, hold on, guys, I, got, I really oh. got to get lit for this encounter. Um, yeah. So since you have some intel on that, I'm very curious. Well, first of all, which scene do you think he was high in specifically in this? Movie? Oh, my God. I can't remember. But they, they did a close up on his face. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's high. 
<laughs> it was, was it when he was a zombie and they they were probably like going to put up, put in the contacts and, was, and then Greg and Nicotero was like, oh, wait, did we already do your contacts? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's right? like, no, man, just just don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, so it's actually funny because he mentioned that. So so he mentioned uh, again, this is like in one little interview I watched, but he mentioned Dennis Hopper and working with him on Super Mario Brothers. And he does he did mention basically that uh, Hopper was like inviting them out to parties, apparently. And, you know, we oh. talked about Super Mario Brothers and how awful that whole production was and how angry Dennis Hopper was. But it sounds like Leguizamo actually has some fond memories of him. So whether oh, or not that good. was just like, you know, in mm. passing years later or, you know, Hopper was just uh, hated the the directors and still nice to other people. I don't know. But yeah, so so he did. He kind of basically mentioned uh, that he he uh, Hopper was like, I guess, kind of, you know, partying and uh, he would like invite them out to parties and stuff. But then he mentioned that um, and I'm trying to I, I can't remember exactly you know how he worded it. So I'm kind of paraphrasing here. But he, he seemed to be very politely saying that Dennis Hopper in his later years maybe didn't have the quite, uh, speaking of short-term memory, he didn't quite have mm. the, uh, you know, retention of some of the lines. So he's like, yeah, we, you know, we had to do like more takes on some of the stuff, but uh, it, it, he was very, he was very pointed in saying like, yeah, you know, you know, you know, an actor gets older, you know, their short-term memory kind of goes. Uh, especially if they took every <laughs> drug ever imagined, including some that aren't illegal because nobody knows about them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Oh, God. Who's, oh, oh, God. Uh, Oh God! Who's uh, have you I'm ever totally seen fucked. the last movie? I'm totally uh, no no. Uh, uh, who, oh God! Who's who's in that? Oh oh! It, it was after after Easy Rider. Um, they gave Dennis Hopper millions of dollars and let him go down to South America oh. and shoot a movie. And all he did was shoot up heroin and <laughs> yeah. had to make a movie and made a movie about a guy who goes down to South America to make a movie and. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a mess. It's just, it's oh, a no. glorious, wonderful mess. I gotta find that now. No, I, yeah. I was thinking of, I was thinking of the things that you hear about, like, Richard Dreyfus, who was just, like, he just, like, I don't know. Apparently, uh, he had, he had similar problems, uh, later in his career. Uh, yeah. or I guess I should say probably still does, because I think he's still acting. He's but, um, still alive, yeah. Yeah, he's still alive, still going, I guess, you know. I mean, uh, Dennis Hopper, uh, I, I remember going to see Blue Velvet not knowing what I was getting into, except that I really oh, liked uh, the, the Elephant Man. So I figured, yeah, yeah okay. So this <laughs> I love Lynch June, fellow, I must, <laughs> this looks good too. This, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and and um, that is one of the most terrifying performances. I feel like, I feel like even, if you, even if you like describe that movie in detail to someone, they still won't know what to expect. But yeah, <laughs> I feel like there's, there's no preparing yeah. for that movie. <laughs> like... So, you know, he's kind of maybe he's phoning it in a little bit. I mean, you know, kind of like Chris Walken at a certain point, he's just hmm. being Dennis Hopper. But right. that's fine because there's a lot of good roles for Dennis Hopper. There's a lot of and, and this is one where, you know, he's playing a guy. He's got the he's not quite um, he's not quite Frank from Blue Velvet, but there's still a tinge of madness there. <laughs> and he's got that he's got that look where this guy is not physically intimidating. He he could be taken by most younger people, you know, but but there's a little bit of madness, a little bit of danger there that you could believe that this guy is uh, has got people scared. Yeah, I, I, I did love I love the bit where he actually has regret that he shot the one guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, yes. uh, you know, like I could have used him still. And it's like, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Bad thing. 
was that was that the guy that he does the uh, hey look over there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that apparently, uh, I, I can't remember who who it was. Uh, it was I think it was maybe an interview with Romero. Uh, but apparently he improvised that. He was supposed to shoot nice. the guy, but but Dennis Hopper improvised the oh hey, what's over there, so, which I thought was hilarious <laughs> because it's uh, yeah. it's one of the funniest parts of the movie. So yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I actually, I like Dennis Hopper in this movie. I actually appreciate the fact, and again, maybe it was because he was a little bit older, uh, but he's not like, this is not like Dennis Hopper in Waterworld where he's just chewing the scenery and every scene is totally over the top, right. which I also love. I do. I do love him in that yeah. movie, but he is a little more, he's, he's not totally over the top. And I don't know. He, yeah, he does come across as a little more insidious and I don't know, a little more threatening because like you said, it's not about the fact that he's, you know, outwardly threatening, threatening people, or he's going to break your legs right there. But he wields this power behind the scenes where we, you know, we find out that he basically, you know, you were talking about the, uh, the, the, the bar, the place where, you know, the people were uh, fighting zombies and, you know, it was, it was intimated that he basically runs all of that, right? It, like nothing goes on in the city without him knowing. Yeah. So anything, anything bad that's going on is basically like at his behest somehow. So I don't know. I think there's, Again, I wish that they had cut some of the other characters and actually just focused on Kaufman a little bit more because mm-hmm. I, I do find those I, I do find that sort of character uh, kind of more interesting. You know, the, the villain who is kind of working behind the scenes and pulling the strings. And uh, I, I think that that was that was like I think I think Hopper at this at the point in his career and at his age, I think that was a, a really good kind of fit for him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Do, do we want to talk a little bit about some of the themes here that kind of come in with this character, Bill? Sure. <laughs> well, OK, well, what, what are your uh, what are your what are your thoughts? What do you think this this film is trying to tell us? Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's talking about uh, the disparity between the haves and the have nots and uh social climbing here john leguizamo's character thinks that he's going to be able to join in with them but they're never going to accept him and it's so over it's so over the top it's it's so overhanded i mean i feel like i saw i was reading some of the reviews and they're like yeah this is a movie that really uh tells tells what the bush years were like and i'm like you know this is the mistake you make when you make a political film Nobody remembers what the Bush years were like. They remember Iraq. They remember the Iraq war. And that's about it. What was inflation during the Bush years? I don't know. What was uh, income disparity? Beats me. It probably wasn't good. Never is. But uh, <laughs> this this is just a, a silly way to do it. And then you start, I don't know, you start like, uh, did you have to have that dopey ad playing about, you know, how great it is to live in Fiddler's Green? Yeah, they know that. I don't think you need ads. There's there's a line yeah. going around the block of people who want to go in there, and, and you got to wait for someone to kill themselves to uh, to get in. See, here's the, here's what bugs me. Here's what bugs me is that the potential that was wasted. Mm. Yeah, this is the first movie where they openly acknowledge. They even say it in the opening credits, which, by the way, I think gave away way too much um, in the voiceovers. No matter how you die, you become a zombie. If you get bit, you, you become a zombie faster. But your fate is to become a zombie. Might be an old zombie who rises from his deathbed after dying peacefully in his sleep and then kills his whole family. Or it might be you get bitten by a zombie and then a short time later you come back as a zombie and kill your whole family. But you are all going to die, be resurrected as a zombie, (laughs) and then immediately kill your whole family. How does a society work in that scenario? 
how do because because this one looks just like everyone's going about their business and the only threat is from the outside no the outside could be way better defended against than what they do. They're going on the assumption zombies can't swim and that chain link fences will hold back a rampaging horde, both of which are untrue. But that could be a, that could be adjusted. Um, the problem is that you are in a city with a whole bunch of um, fetal zombies that are just waiting for whatever it is that takes them off this mortal coil and then they become the hungry undead. How does that work? How do you live with your family? Everybody sleeps in separate rooms. Do you try to come up with some device that as soon as your heart stops for more than five seconds, it jams a piece of metal into your brain? What do you do? How do yeah. people trust each other when every time there's a knock on the door and they open it, it might be when Dan just keeled over from diabetes and now he's back and, and, <laughs> and moving better than he has in years. That's oh. a cool premise. And none of that is done. Instead, we get the standard, the rich people are going to be up here and the poor people are going to be down here because the poor people are too stupid to figure out that they outnumber the rich by a magnitude. And um, gosh, it makes you think it's just like now. No, it's totally not just like now. Um, the people would actually, that also, that city would be in much worse shape than it's in because you can only get so much scavenging. Again, I've really thought way too much about this. This <laughs> oh, city yeah, is absolutely. too big to work. And and so, you know, that kind of takes me out of it. But I get what he was trying to say. Yeah. I don't know what the solution is. Um, it, it, the, the, the happy ending is awfully tacked on. Doesn't make a whole lick of sense. It's like the zombies, for whatever reason, decide to just keep on moseying on off and leave the poor people that they didn't kill behind because, what, they're full? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I have a lot of thoughts on the zombies when we get to them. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get yeah. I, so yeah, so so here's here's my thing. So I actually remember when this film came out, you know, 2005, and I actually remember hearing in you know interviews with Romero at the time, where he's like, yeah, it's you know, it's a uh, whatever a metaphor for the you know the Bush administration or whatever. So yeah, and and he was still saying that you know well after the fact. I didn't understand it then and I don't understand it now. No. And and it's like there are so because there are a couple of lines in here that are obviously like Kaufman has a line where he says we don't negotiate with terrorists. And uh, Cholo has a line about, you know, going jihad on someone's ass. But other than that, it's like, okay, and then I guess it's about, you know, a technically a group of people, i.e. the people in, you know, Fiddler's Green, not not all the other people, because they are kind of living shitty life already, but people who think that they're safe and then their, you know, their, their idea of protection is kind of destroyed when they get overrun with zombies, which was, you know, kind of the, the whole thing about, you know, nine 11, you know, the idea that people, terrorists could strike on us soil was just unconscionable. But I, I guess I get that, but man, I, I don't, I don't really like, there's no depth to that metaphor at all for me. And I do feel that Romero was very fixated on this because, again, he was talking about it when the film was made. He was talking about it years later. But I just don't really get those themes coming through. And yeah. so I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like, he was... It's not even, like... It's not even the, the message is, like, too in my face because I hate movies like that. It's just the message feels very kind of unfocused, I guess. Like, it's, I can tell that he's trying to... He wants this film to have a message, but it just feels, like, a little confusing to me. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm just not smart enough to pick up on that stuff. Renee, did you did you get any of that from this movie? Honestly, not until the very end with that 
stupid ass line that Simon Baker dropped, which you can wait to the very end to drop that gem if you'd like. Um, ugh, which which I really line didn't. is that? When he was like, "They're they're just looking for a place to go." Oh my god! Like us, just like, like us. us, barf, yeah. barf, yeah. Okay, just barf. like us. I, yeah, I do, but, I do. but they're they're going to eat children when they find <laughs> that place. Is, yeah. that, is that on just our like us? Is that our plan? <laughs> Yeah, just like us. <laughs> I always slip that in. Yeah, uh, like my one of my favorite movies, top ten, Cannibal Holocaust. Um, at the very <laughs> end, when they they got to slip in, it's like sometimes I wonder who the real cannibals are. Pretty oh, sure it's the ones we just saw cannibals. chowing down on those people. You know, like munching on their guts. I think those are the Ooh. actual cannibals, not metaphorical cannib- cannibals. Actual yeah. living cannibals. But okay. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so talking about, I, I did actually find one kind of funny thing about Kaufman that uh, Dennis Hopper and, uh, you know, playing, portraying Kaufman that I wanted to mention. And, and this kind of goes to show that, you know, you can't trust every quote that you hear on the Internet because sometimes there will be at odds. So I was watching an interview with Romero. And again, I think this one, I can't remember if this was one that was around the time that the movie came out or it was a bit later. But basically he was talking about you know, the approach that the various actors had to their characters, I think. And he was mentioning, you know, Dennis Hopper. And he said, uh, and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I wish I'd written down the quote. But he said something along the lines of like, you know, they were talking about how the character was uh, supposed to be played. And uh, I believe Romero said that, you know, Dennis Hopper said something about like Rumsfeld and, and Romero was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like he, he's like Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah. And, and he said something about, you know, that's how I knew that we were, you know, on the same wavelength or something like that. And God, I, I hope I'm not misquoting here, but, um, but then I was looking for, I could not find a whole lot of interviews with Dennis Hopper about this movie mm-hmm. when it came out, mm-hmm. but I did find one yeah. <laughs> and Dennis Hopper where the interviewer was asking about the kind of the political overtones. And yeah. Dennis Hopper was like, yeah, a lot of people have compared this uh, this character uh, or said that this character is supposed to be Donald Rumsfeld, and absolutely not. You know, I respect oh, yeah. Donald Rumsfeld, and I think he's uh, he was because uh, if, if for those of you who are listening who don't know, Dennis Hopper, you know, in his later years was like a became very conservative, which is like Republican. the funniest damn yeah, thing yeah. on earth. Uh, but, the funny thing is, he might have actually based it on on Rumsfeld, but it, he meant that as a compliment, and Romero thought that <laughs> now he's got this guy nailed. Yeah. No, no, because the well, the interview that I read, it was like uh, Hopper was very adamant. He was like, "Yeah, people have said this character is Rumsfeldian. I don't think that at all." So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was, and and maybe so. Yeah, obviously, like someone's either misremembering or changed their mind or something. But um, I thought that was kind of funny because uh, again, the, yeah, the uh, what Romero remembered and what Hopper remembered seemed to be uh, <laughs> complete opposite. See, if, so if it weren't, if it weren't, I, I, I don't think that Romero would have even considered doing something like this, but I think you could have portrayed this character as really genuinely believing that he's the good guy, right? That all these people, okay, their lives aren't great, but they're alive and they're alive because, you know, as he says, he's the one who put up the fences. He's the one they spent all this money and hired all this. And he's got this working thing and he gives them amusements and it's, it might be a house of cards, but it's a house. Yeah. Why shouldn't he be rewarded? Why shouldn't he get to drink some expensive brandies up in his place and <laughs> choose his neighbors and, and all? You know, that's the reward you get for saving lots and lots of lives. I Okay, he's an immoral bastard. But in his mind, I, I think he, he would feel that way. And I think he could make that argument. But as it is, he's he's pretty much a, he's just a pure, he's a bad guy who enjoys being a bad guy. So he's fun to oh, yeah. watch. 
but yeah. not a whole lot of depth there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Renee. What do you think of what do you think of Don, Donald Rumsfeld and the the Bush years? <laughs> I the, I just think that's really hilarious because I I uh, you know Donald and I go way back. No, um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that... you, you were you gave the eulogy at his funeral, didn't you? I did actually. Yeah. I was there. Jeez. Um, <laughs> oh, um, God, just making that comparison is funny because it just makes me kind of reflect back on the movie. Um, cause during the movie, there were just times when I was like, Hmm, that's kind of King Koopa ish. <laughs> so that's like the only thing that I picked up yeah, on. That's true. That is true. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that is true. And it's, it's kind of funny cause like Hopper definitely had this whole, like, I mean, he was probably like a good two decades there where he was just really being cast as like villains and he was usually really good in them, uh, in those roles. But yeah, it's it, there is something King Koopa. He's up in this tower, looking out over the city, and uh, yeah, that's that's uh, not <laughs> not totally incorrect. Or maybe it's mm-hmm. just because you're always thinking about the Super Mario Brothers. Movie <laughs> that's true. It's always true. on your mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else we want to talk about, uh, Dennis Hopper, or the character of Kaufman, or, or do we want to move on to some other? Uh, we have a couple of other minor, lesser characters I wanted to, to touch on. I, you know, I, I he has a good. He has a good send off, but again, it's a little dopey. They're going to get in a car with bags of money and yeah. what, what, yeah. what are they going like to do? Where are they going? Car. See, maybe <laughs> if they establish, car. yeah, maybe if they establish that this city was one of many around the country well, with their yeah. own, their own strong men that more or less, you know, communicate with each other, but each one has his own thing. And now he's going to go out there to make a deal, but there's no, I, I don't get it. He did mention, and I don't know, I don't know if he was, uh, he, I think he mentioned at some point that they had like caches of supplies in case of emergency, right? Hmm. Uh, am I totally misremembering that? I, I think, maybe, I think, I think there was, yeah. there was something about that. Uh, the, what I think the he had like safe do, houses. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I still yeah. don't, I still don't understand the money thing. I mean, maybe they were, maybe they actually were using it as toilet paper. And if, uh, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that, uh, toilet paper can be the, the most valuable asset. It would have been funny if we saw the money and it actually had like Dennis Hopper's face on it. It was his own personal. <laughs> mint. Actually, yeah. Yeah. That would actually that would be, be really then, then it would have made yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, cool. It. Well, Oh yeah. I guess uh final, final word on him. He does have uh, one of the, the best lines in the movie. This movie does, for all its fault. This movie does have some pretty good lines and I love his delivery of zombies, man. They creep me out. And, while he's uh, picking his nose well it's funny Romero actually mentioned that they did two takes that because he was like I knew that the trailer people would want it but they wouldn't put it in there if it was the one of him picking his nose so he did a take of him picking his nose and one of uh. him not picking his nose which just shows that you know for uh, say what you will about him but uh, Romero yeah. was a, a genius in many regards so yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> he understood you know, you're the, right uh, I, I, that just occurs to me now I remember the way he delivered it in the trailer and he wasn't yeah. picking his nose at the time because yeah. that's all I would have noticed yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so i thought that was pretty funny yeah so a <laughs> um, couple of other characters i uh and actors i wanted to call out uh we uh the three kind of soldiers that kaufman sends along to secure dead reckoning we got uh sasha ruiz as manolette manolette uh, I, I, he 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 uh, he corrects the pronunciation, but now I forget what the correct one is. And then Chris uh, Krista Bridges as Motown. They're both in there for like two seconds. They they both have like mm-hmm. two lines. But I wanted to call them out because I think they're uh, good little bit parts. They're fun bit parts. But yeah. the uh, the the character I really wanted to call out is uh, Pedro Miguel Ar- Arce. I'm probably mispronouncing that 
as uh, Pillsbury. Pillsbury. And, <laughs> okay, let's just. I just want to say I love this guy so much. Okay, yeah, it's it's a little on the nose. They named a the you know the big guy Pillsbury. I still don't That's know how fine. I feel about this. Um, but I, I I really love him in this movie. And he he was actually uh, I was watching an interview with him. And again, it was it was really kind of heartwarming because I guess he was like an aspiring writer. And he hmm. said that he had he had talked to Romero about some of the stuff. And like after the movie wrapped and after they had worked together on this, Romero was actually like uh, still like inviting him over to like read his stuff and give him advice and stuff, which I thought was really hmm. cool. Uh, cool. Uh, so. Yeah, what what do you guys think about uh, uh, Pedro? Uh, he was great. You know, yeah, okay. he's he's such a he's a physical pres- presence, but he he sold it well and and instantly likable. Guys working steady. Holy yeah. crap! He's oh got yeah, a, he's yeah. got he's a, a bunch a, of stuff uh, still in post production and everything. He's a working yeah. actor. He's been. I'm looking. I'm just looking at his IMDb, and it looks like every year has got multiple. Yeah, from like 2000. 13 on he's just been working super steady well he, he did um, mention uh sorry renee go ahead oh i just said nice <laughs> i'm no, yeah. very happy yeah. for him <laughs> he, he did he mentioned that yeah he seems he actually seems like a really cool guy i don't know if he did, does conventions or anything and I'd, I'd love to meet him he did mention that mm. this was kind of his big break he'd been in a couple of things i think he was he was a uh a, like a former college football player i think he was working as a uh, a bouncer in toronto but uh, he mentioned oh, yeah. that, uh, another th- that neither of those things surprises me yeah, in the least. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, he he mentioned that like the I guess the the first one of the first things he did was the scene where he punches Motown right when he's kind of like mm-hmm. uh, you know throwing in with with yeah. the, the other folks. Right. And he said that he said that like that was one of the first things he did, and he just heard like George Romero like after that take he he like Romero was like like you know, at the monitors across the street. And he just heard him like, you know, like, yeah. And uh, he, that, he said like, that's when he knew that it was going to be a fun shoot. So oh. that was kind of heartwarming. Uh, I yeah. didn't want, yeah. I, I don't know. Any, any other comments on him? No, I, but I agree. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny when he, when they kind of share that wink, he just punched her. I thought that yeah. was really yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Love it. Uh, no. I will final thing I want to say on him again, you know, th- there are some problems with the script, but there are some really funny moments in it. And there are, there are moments that I, I still laugh every time, but I think the one that makes me, <laughs> the, the one that I love more than anything else, I think this is actually my favorite like exchange in the movie where he's like uh, telling Motown how to hotwire the car. And she's like, you know, how, how many, you know, how do you, how does a Simone know how to hotwire your car? And he's like, 50,000 cars are stolen every year. And he's like, a million cars are stolen in Detroit. He's like, Detroit has 50 million cars, 50,000 cars stolen in Samoa. Every, uh, Samoa only has 50,000 cars, <laughs> all of them stolen. <laughs> and I just, yeah. I love that every, like his, I love his, uh, his, his kind of delivery too. He's like, he's very dry, but he's all, I don't know. Like, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I just wanted to, to mention him because I love him so much. So <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, Two, just two other small things. Are two oh small wow! You're, you're gonna say that before you mention Phil Fondacaro. Small oh, things. God. Wow, that's I, really offensive. Oh God, I wasn't even gonna mention him. Um, oh what, sure, I, sure. Good. No, recovery. no, I actually wasn't. I actually Chihuahua. Got to write him down. Yeah, uh, Chihuahua. Or as I like to call him, Tiny Danny Trejo. <laughs> oh my God! I'm sure you should. You probably shouldn't call it to him. Uh, uh, to his face. No, I actually, or, or to Danny Trejo's face for that matter. Or, They're both terrifying looking. 
actually both scary looking guys. Um, I had actually totally forgot to uh, to write him to, uh, to to write him down. But yeah, do we want to talk about uh, Chihuahua or uh, yeah. Phil Fondacaro? Yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, he, he was he's, he's actually kind of a legend. He's been in, he was in Willow, he what? was in Star, uh, Star Wars. Uh, or, or was, yeah, was he was, a, he was, he was the one Ewok that died. <laughs> yeah. I, I, really? <laughs> that I is absolutely true. That. Oh, no. Oh, that's hilarious. Played a um, dead Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a bunch of Sabrina the Teenage Witches yeah. and, yeah. Uh, no, oh, I actually, I actually think, uh, cause I was, I was like, I, I know that I, I actually feel like I recognize him from something, uh, but he was actually in a couple of episodes of sliders, which I don't know if any other human mm. being on the face mm. of the earth remembers that show, but, uh, it was one of my favorites in the like mid nineties. And I think Is that I, Jerry uh, O'Connell, Jerry O'Connell, John yes! Davies. Oh yeah. It's, yep, it's, yep. it's, it's oh, a yeah. blast. It's a blast. Uh, so, oh God, oh, oh okay, yeah, oh, well, I, uh -oh. yeah. Thought, thought that we're gonna save for the end of the. Uh, we're, we got to talk offline, Renee. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, I. I <laughs> any, anything else about Chihuahua though? Before we move on to the the ones I was actually gonna talk about. <laughs> Other than uh, you know, the, he, he's he's just a. I want to say he's just a bit character, but uh, yeah, but interesting, and and I don't know what his deal was. Um. You know, just yeah, he's a got, scumbag. Got he's taken like, out, and it was basically yeah, he's a scumbag, and just just there to show that uh, um, what's his name, uh, Charlie is a good shot. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, that's something else too. Everyone picks on Charlie. Uh, you know, it was like, oh, if it weren't for Riley, Charlie knows about guns and is an oh, yeah. excellent shot, which is like in the five things that would make you useful in this world, yeah. those are the top two the right top there. Two. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. That is actually very true. The fact that maybe he's not the guy you go to, to help do your taxes is irrelevant. This guy would yeah. be, everyone would want him on the team. Riley doesn't need to drag him along. Riley will get picked for right. kickball after they pick Charlie. Right. right. Yeah. So. In a world, in a world where headshots count, uh, yeah, a guy yeah. who can always make a yes. headshots. One of the most, that that's actually very true. I, I hadn't even thought of that, and it kind of bothers me now. That didn't occur to me because, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, a couple other uh, actually people I wanted to call out just because of kind of the significance of the the actors, not so much uh, because they're characters because they both die pretty quickly. But Sean Roberts as Mike, who is the guy that uh, gets uh, bit in the in the beginning of the movie, basically oh. Cholo's responsible for his death. I thought it was uh, kind of funny because he would actually go on to appear in Diary of the Dead, but he oh. also went on to play uh, a role in a series of movies that would not exist if George Romero, uh, uh, probably or probably would not exist if not for George Romero, because he inspired the video games on which they were based. He played Albert Wesker in the Resident Evil movies, oh. which is are a terrible oh. series of movies. His Albert Wesker is the probably the stupidest character in a series of movies that and I'm, I'm not like, I'm not picking on Sean Roberts. It's just, he's the most stupid, ridiculous character you could possibly imagine. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of funny because there is kind of a connection there. So I wasn't Romero supposed to do a resident evil movie. Oh man, we could, we could do a whole. Yeah. So, so Romero was originally going to direct the resident evil movie. I mean, I, I think I've said this before. We could probably do like a whole series on the unmade Romero films because mm -hmm. there are a shit oh, yeah, ton of them. That's true. Uh, but he, he's actually, uh, there is the, uh, the kind of consolation prize. What there was, uh, you can go on YouTube and find this, but he actually did a TV commercial for Resident Evil 2 when that was originally released, yes. which I think was like 96, 97. So, yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, so yeah, I th- and Risen Evil, I mean, I, I, the games have a lot of inspirations, but I believe, you know, the, the guys who, who uh, kind of made that series have, have said that Night of the Living Dead is pretty much at the top. So I just yeah. thought it was kind of funny. And then uh, the other person I wanted to mention, because I actually, for some reason, even though I've only seen uh, one of these other movies and that uh, only once, but for some reason I still kind of recognized him, but Alan Van Spring as Brubaker, who is the guy that uh, Cholo's about to shoot when he goes to get Dead Reckoning. He's about to shoot him because he's like trying mm-hmm. to bullshit his way and and then the shooting breaks out. And then he shows up as a zombie later. He would actually, he would go on yeah. to appear in Diary and Survival of the Dead as uh, yeah. the soldier. Uh, or, yeah. or, or I should say Diary as like the, I think he was like the lead of the soldiers who like go in and like take over their RV or something. I don't know. I don't really remember that movie. Uh, we'll have to yeah. watch it. But I thought it was kind of funny that he was, uh, yeah, he, so he's, he was technically in kind of all three of those, uh, all three of those movies. So, huh? yeah. Yeah. So I think that's all I got in terms of, uh, the living. Is there anyone else I missed or anyone else? Oh, there's Mulligan, but he really doesn't have a whole lot to do. <laughs> you, so. you just want to talk about him because of his name. Yeah, yeah, I was hoping for more from Mulligan. <laughs> yeah. least, either either a good death or something, but you know, he's, mm. he's there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. I think I think I think he, he he almost feels like he just exists to kind of balance out and kind of the thing that you were saying about like there are all these people down there that are just like horrible people. And he, he almost just exists to show that there's someone who's not a complete asshole. Right. Other yeah. than the, uh, the, the protagonist. So I don't know. All right. Well, I think we've covered all of the living in this movie, but of course this movie is not called land of the living. It is called oh. land of the dead. Huh? You know, I did yeah. <laughs> what a dull <laughs> film that would be. Yeah. Man, good thing there are no zombies. Good thing we're all still alive. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It would really, really suck if there were zombies around. <laughs> but yeah. uh, let's, let's, let's move on to our next section, which is appropriately called The Dead. And this is where we kind of talk about zombies in general. And in this one, obviously, we'll talk about a lot of the uh, featured zombies. And uh, I don't know, maybe we should kick things off here with the featured zombie in this movie. Uh, you know, he's the featured zombie because he's uh, at the forefront of the poster. And I'm talking about. And we are talking Gene. about Tambourine Man. Yeah. <laughs> Tambourine Man. Jasmine oh, man. Gejo. Yeah, the scene, man, the scene where he gets like, he picks up the gun and he looks at this tambourine, and he looks at the gun and then throws the tambourine down. Best scene in the whole Ooh. movie. Uh, I actually do think it's pretty funny, but I think we've um, all been there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, that, I've taken this tambourine all... thing as far as it can go. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm growing as a person. <gasps> oh my god! It. Oh boy, this is for those of you who haven't listened to the the podcast before. This is the punchy second half where we totally go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about the dead, and let's start with uh, Eugene Clark as big daddy who is obviously kind of arguably one of the stars of this movie even though he doesn't have any lines other than (laughs) and uh is kind of here to you know illustrate the progression or evolution of zombies in this living dead universe so i don't know take it away guys uh what do you guys what do you guys think of eugene clark and what do you guys think of this character and kind of what he represents in the film well, can I just say one thing before we start? Is that I'm not entirely happy with the look of the zombies in this one. 
Mm. That yes, and and well, every one every one of the classic films, except for I think Day, where they really got it right. Yeah, there's there are problems. The first one, yeah, they had no budget, and so it's raccoon eyes and pretty inconsistent. Um, but okay, they're dead. We, we enough to sell it. The second one, classic, wonderful, but the makeup and the, the film processing kind of screwed with the makeup, and we got kind of blue gray zombies and poster paint blood. I think the third one, the zombies were on point. They were great. This one just feels too, and maybe this is because, you know, it was followed by 1,100 seasons of Walking Dead. It's too much of that look, that that very distinctive zombie look, the thing on the bridge of the nose, the sunken eyes, the the wrinkly skin. And, and it's not reasonable because we're, we're shown several times that these people, as soon as they resurrect as zombies, they are instantly wrinkled faced, old looking, sallow skinned, pulled back, high cheekbone zombies. Makes no sense. I mean, you could say maybe, I don't know how many years have gone by and they've been rained on and dried out and they're probably not using good hygiene. They're going to end up looking like <laughs> that. Fine. Okay. I'll buy it. Sure. But not within five minutes of resurrecting. Mm. I, it just feels too make up to me. Right. Well, I mean, we can, we can start there if you want to talk about the look of the zombies, because I actually watching this in retrospect, it's kind of funny because you mentioned the walking dead and mm-hmm. this whole film, like watching this now and knowing what Greg Nicotero did after this whole film actually feels like a preparation for the walking dead. Yes. Because he actually yes. does a lot of the things he does. Uh, this is this is the first movie, the first Living Dead movie, where we get some like uh, puppets, like puppet zombies, yep. and mm. which he does in in Walking Dead. And actually, yeah, like just the the overall look of the zombies. Like going back and watching this now, it's like man, Greg Nicotero basically took this was like the blueprint for what the the kind of look for a lot of the zombies is in the Walking yeah. Dead. So I was kind and of I think like, I think it improved quite because I I love yeah. the look. Of the zombies, the oh, yeah. Also, this is the movie I, I hadn't realized this until I watched it today that they keep calling them walkers. Yeah, and oh, that's uh, no, that's no, a big no, deal. no. Wait, in in no? this movie they have a they have the horrible, horrible because uh, they, they, they call them, them stenches. They call them stenches, which is I mean, out of all the million different things that people have come up with in a million different movies to not say zombie is probably the worst. Yeah, like. Yeah stenches but I, really? I swear oh there was God. at least some moment where they were calling them walkers oh was there i don't know i think maybe, so. maybe i'm wrong but that because that one's stuck in my mind because oh okay okay so here's here's a little digression yeah so a couple years ago i was asked to do some makeup for a series of television ads they were bringing walking dead was going to be syndicated and oh. these, these folks yeah these it was great it was How i'm just finding out about this <laughs> okay this is, this so is, uh, the, these folks, the, the guy who like uh, was running the ad agency or involved in it and everything, and they came up with a bunch of funny little vignettes, which was a zombie tries to do something like ride a bicycle and falls over and just makes a big mess, tries to play golf, can't do it. And it, you show a little bit of that, just enough to sell the joke. And then the narrator comes on and says, zombies are really only good at one thing. Then they cut to a scene from Walking Dead where they're tearing apart some children or whatever. And we go on from there. And we we felt we spent a whole day. I mean, I this is one of the longest makeup jobs I've ever gone on. The guy who I was working on, perfect, high cheekbones, thin face. I mean, it's my favorite. It's the one thing I'll show people. It's like, can you really do makeup? It's like, 
actually, I'm not that great. But I'll show you this one because this one, everything worked perfect. Um, and they sent it out there and I was waiting to hear back from it. And then the word came back and they said, we love it. You can't do it. You can't use it. I'm like what? He said, well, one, you call them zombies and we don't call them zombies in The Walking Dead. Oh. They're walkers. And two, and this is the one that really killed it. Um, they just felt that you, we don't want you making fun of zombies. We don't want anyone yeah. to get any humor out of this because then they might be laughing at our show instead of watching it. So it was like, I was heartbroken. They, they didn't use any of that. I still, I still had one moment of glory. Um, they brought me back in to do the guy's arms hmm. and we, we did his arms up. Cause again, he had good thin arms, very long fingers. I mean, it was easy to sell. And those arms later showed up in uh, Crabtree Mall. They were on the elevators. When the elevator doors closed, there were all these arms <laughs> reaching oh out for the middle. And that was the ad for Walking Dead. Wow. So that was, I got a, yeah, I got a picture of that with myself posing in front of that. That was my big moment of glory. So when I heard, I think maybe I'm wrong. Now I got to go watch it again. I think it was early in the movie where they're calling them walkers. And I'm like, wow. Because uh, I thought I Walking that. Dead, yeah. and now you couldn't do that because Walking Dead has got that. Well, te technically, the, the Walking Dead had, had existed before this, right? Because I think the, the comic started in uh, 2003, right? Oh, I, I don't know. You may be right. I don't know if they called them walkers in The Walking Dead. I honestly don't uh, have the comic. Well, no, the, the, they call them that in the comic, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's right. why it's called The Walking Dead. So, mm, I don't know. Well, so, so, this yeah. wouldn't have been... This wouldn't have been before, but it was a, I, you know, there's no telling if, yeah. if Romero was aware of that. Com I mean, he probably was. It's kind of hard to imagine because that, that, that comic was such an homage to his oh, yeah. work and it was also very successful. So I can't imagine that someone didn't like mention it to him at some Which point, but I think it's part of the reason why we have land of the dead is, you know, you're George oh, Romero, yeah. you're see you're watching people make a fortune on your yeah. idea. And you're not even making even the tiniest of residuals because the movie, the, the original movie didn't get copyrighted or trademarked yeah. or whatever. So it's got to be a little frustrating. It's like, hey, if zombies are popular, it's time to cash in. Yeah, very true. Which was probably how he got the budget when he did, mm -hmm. because it was kind of heating back up. I mean, the year before they shot this, uh, you know, late 2004 and earlier that year, Dawn of the Dead had come out. The remake had come out and made a decent amount of money. So that was probably probably helped him. So uh, you're yeah. right. The comic book was published in 2003. Yeah, yeah. But I was as far as the zombie look, I, it's not quite there yet. There are some good individual zombies. We've got the first one I've ever seen with the torn cheek, with the teeth going through. That would be almost a. That's become almost a standard zombie trope now. Um, right. You know, the, there's some good ones there. I just, overall, it looks a little yeah. too foam rubber or silicone or whatever it was they used. It's just a little bit there. I think once they got to Walking Dead, they've got it down to an art. Those are fantastic looking oh, yeah. zombies. And and I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right that this was like the the germ of where that look went. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue because uh, can we talk about how much I hate the makeup on Big Daddy? <laughs> Because he just has oh, like, thank you. I was afraid I was the only one that was going to oh, say that. Okay, okay. Let me let me just get this out of the way. Again, I, I got to say this because again, I watched some interviews with him. Eugene Clark seems like a really really cool guy. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I would love to meet him. I'd love to talk about you know his his work on this movie. But man, there's a lot about this character that I 
don't like I well yeah I don't like the makeup that god that weird the fact that the makeup pretty much just consists of that like really weird like front face piece that's just like the, yeah the, oh, how, like no one's no one's face like you don't that doesn't happen <laughs> when you when you decay or yeah yeah if you get, become like desiccated I don't bizarre. understand what I don't understand it and that, and this like this is not just like a weird like stupid background zombie like this is literally like I said this guy is on the poster he's you know in all the promotional material like he is basically one of the co-stars of the movie and I god I hate the design so much I hate it uh, okay yeah I'm, I'm with you I'm with you on that um it it it's not great um. You know, it's got that, I've never really particularly liked that peeled off nose thing. And I don't think it actually works there because mm. the the tip of his nose actually looks fairly normal. And then you've got that peeled skin that goes back. Um, the, the eye thing is way overdone, way, way, way overdone. You're right. There's no bones there. His teeth are black, like they're they're clearly not rotted teeth. They're just I, uh, I, unbrushed, I, think, I guess. I think, <laughs> I think what I hate about it is that, like, sometimes you'll see where they do, like, the that kind of desiccated, sunken look on mm -hmm. on zombies or monsters. And they always make a point. They, they get someone like, uh, you know, like Doug Jones or something that has, yeah. like, the, you can, like, work with their face. But Eugene Clark has, like, a, like, he does not have, like, sunken, like, no, hollow he's a good-looking like, guy. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah. So... It feels like they just put like it was like the makeup is additive, and it looks well, like like, it's just... like no yeah like the guy who played Bub. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not saying he's an unattractive man, <laughs> but but he's got a he's got an unusually large mouth, and that yeah. oh yeah really yeah. worked for mm -hmm. for the zombie, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. You find people who have okay when when you're gonna chop off the zombie's head, you find someone who's got. <clears throat> An unusually sloping head, so you can build yeah. it up, and, yeah. and, and it doesn't yeah, look ridiculous. Topper zombie, yeah, yeah, and yeah. This guy, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I hate to say because I don't think he did a bad job in the role, um, right? But well, I, uh, yeah, I've got some I, problems I think, with the role too. I, I yeah, so do I. I mean, do we want to talk about that a little bit? I mean, yeah, like okay, let's 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 actually go back and compare them because, like. This was kind of the inevitable progression of what, you know, they, they kind of explored in Day of the Dead, which is, you know, Bub, and he's kind of relearning. And in this movie, you know, you have a, you have Big Daddy, who's, I guess, a smart zombie, although we'll get to kind of why that, that is weird to yeah. me to begin with. But, you know, Bub is, I, I think the reason that that role is so iconic is it's actually like, I don't want to say underplayed. I don't think underplayed is the word, but it's not overplayed. And in this movie, big daddy, literally every single scene he he's in, he's like roaring and he, that's like all he does. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, this, I don't know. It's just so over the top and it's almost like yeah. goofy. Yeah. It would have been, it would have, no, I agree. Oh. It would have been better if he were a, a quiet zombie who's just studying and, and watching instead of roaring. He's, he's not saying anything. He's just yeah. looking for whatever reason the synapses yeah. are beginning to connect, you know, which right. I guess it makes sense that he's like trying to like communicate with the other zombies. But yeah, like the, the best scenes. And in fact, uh, it's kind of funny because they, the him and a couple other people who audition or who, who played kind of the lead zombies were talking about the audition. And this was very interesting to me because he said that the auditions for the zombie roles was George Romero had them audition 
he just had like an, an office desk set up and he had a phone on it and he was like, okay, act, act like a zombie with the phone, what? which is the scene from day of the dead, which is one of the most memorable scenes where right. Bob is trying to like, you know, talk on the phone. It's very underplayed. Yeah. It's, it's very subtle. It's very, there's actually like, despite all the makeup, there's a lot of his like performance and like facial expressions and he looks like frustrated and confused and all that comes through. And, and in this, and maybe it's partly because of the makeup, but it's like, there's no, I don't know. There's no subtlety to this, no. this performance whatsoever. And why this zombie? Uh, you know, it's cool yeah. that when the ding, when the bell goes off, he reacts, you know, almost yeah. like a Pavlovian thing, literally with a bell, he comes out and then there's like a moment of confusion because there's no car there. That's cool yeah. and everything. But where do we go from there to the, the awareness that his people are being executed pointlessly, yeah. needlessly, and and he's going to do something about it. I don't see that. I don't I don't see what yeah. it is that makes him and 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 too much of the oh my zombie brother has just been decapitated. I'm oh, holding his hands and, and then he does the Darth Vader no kind of thing. Yeah, but it's why? More like, yeah, yeah. Why does this upset him? What's the what's the reason? I feel like okay. So so here's an example where I think they did it well. At the end, when they're looking up at the sky flowers, and then the one just oh, sort yeah. of. Yeah. slowly looks back down like not buying the bullshit anymore yeah and that's cool but, because it's so yeah. it's not like he he looks at it he gets angry at, at being fooled and everything it's just <laughs> it's just more like right. uh and then everyone oh shit we're in trouble now that's that's a cool understated and it sells it and there's no you know why me god kind of thing that yeah. that's how it should have been done that's actually, I think. That's, uh, yeah i i always i love that that shot that's actually one of my yeah. favorite zombie moments in the whole movie so right. yeah that's a good call out so if i if i may just go on a, a quick tangent so because i was actually thinking a lot about this and like why i don't like this movie as much as some of the other ones and kind of my problems with it and i think that they're like they're two twofold and this this is also gets into uh where like i always try to like solve problems in movies um, because I'm a, you know, uh, I'm an idiot who thinks that he's smarter than, uh, you know, George <laughs> Romero, which I'm not, sure. but, uh, I, I really wish that like, okay. So, so yeah, it's basically like what you're saying. So like in the, in day, like there, uh, Logan is kind of training Bub to like relearn, you know, how to be human basically, which this doesn't really even pick up from that because now, yeah, we have this zombie that's, I guess, kind of just like gaining sentience again in some way. And there's no, really no explanation about it. And I really wish that this, like, I, I wish that this movie had explored a little more. I wish that they basically picked up where the last one left off, where there was someone trying to, you know, study the zombies or teach them. And it would have been a really, really great turn, like somewhere in the middle of the movie to have them realize that, like, oh, there are actually other, like, we think we're teaching the zombies and, you know, otherwise they're going to be totally stupid. But there are, for some reason, there are actually other zombies that are smarter. And we're, you know, what we're doing isn't actually uh, the only way for a zombie to kind of regain mm -hmm. these, these skills and memories and stuff. I don't know. That could have been interesting. Um, but, yeah, it, it, I don't know. It, it's something like that. I don't know. But th there's none of that here. It's, it's literally just, yeah, he comes out. And then he, I guess he, he is more observant than the other zombies and he starts leading them. Yeah. There's no explanation for even, it. Yeah. Like you said, why just had a, just had a shot of when he's not outside with his, you know, gas pump. If he's just <laughs> sitting in the office surrounded by pictures of his family. 
or right. something just yeah. just to give us the idea that you know this guy again the neurons are beginning to stitch themselves back together he's he's beginning right. to get a sense of of where he was and this is this is also being reflected I'll, I'll tell you the other one the one that should have been way more significant the two zombies walking down the street holding hands yeah that yeah. should have been that should have been like a mind blower shot right there that they're dead these were lovers they're dead but there is still something there because to me that right there that, that this this may be complete bullshit but i i'm told i've, I've read somewhere that uh, they found like human tracks in africa um now whether these are actual humans depends on your definition of humans long time ago they probably were the smartest animals at the time but again would not let them do my taxes but they were hominids and supposedly they believe from the way the footprints look that they were walking side by side and they think that they were probably holding hands oh huh and i i don't even care if it's true or not i totally yeah, do not care story. if the story is true it's a great story and it's it's cool because to me that's when you could make the, start making the argument for when did humanity begin when you know that that those little things those little things are what make us different from all the other creatures if I saw two zombies holding hands, mm. I would have a hard time shooting them in the head, or at least I would have a slightly harder time than I normally would shooting them in the head because to right. me you, you that looks pause. like yeah, this like this is the beginning of maybe maybe these are not the mindless shambling monsters that we see, or maybe we're going toward you know another way this could have gone is if they maybe made one more movie in this series, continuing with this to really go the entire I am legend route where right, right. if the zombies achieve a certain level of sentience, they are the norm. We are the monsters. The ones who go around shooting them in the heads and everything are these, you know, the monsters that come out and do all that, you know, numbers count. If, if everyone in the world is a monster and you're not, you're the monster. Yeah. But I, I just you, thought that was that was great, and I didn't think they really played it up. I, at first, I yeah. wasn't even sure they were holding hands. And then and it was like, I think they are. Well, I, I would have made that like one of the first shots in the movie. You see two hands, just like have that come in. The, the holding hands comes into frame as they walk away, and then you realize they're zombies. Hmm. I was yeah. like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Well, that also gets to like what I think you mentioned before, <laughs> where the totally insane line at the end, where they're like, you know, he's gonna shoot the. The, the zombies on the bridge when he's like, oh no, man, they're just, they're just trying to find a place like that. It's like, no, they're, they, they, they will kill you if given the chance yeah. and yeah. they will eat you. And yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so that was like some, that was like, to me, that was like a weird, like R Romero trying to give some humanity to these monsters by way of the character having that line, but mm -hmm. it made no sense in the context. I don't know. So Eugene Clark, I don't know. Any other thoughts about him or Big Daddy? Renee, do you have any thoughts about Big Daddy? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I worded that very oddly. I'm sorry. I worded that oh, very, wow. very oddly. Um, I do have some <laughs> thoughts. Um, God, you know, it was, I just, I, oh, I just really hate that whole zombies are kind of like little like zombies are people sort of yeah. situation um but you know as an actor i thought he was very good um but it, like you mentioned uh the all of the raw every yeah. every five minutes was a little bit much <sighs> um as an actor i thought he did a good job otherwise if they cut 
no offense, him out of the whole movie, it might have been a better movie. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I I almost I, I think they they sh- they should have cut him out or like honestly I I, I kind of wish maybe they had made made him more prominent because they just keep cutting back to him and the other zombies. Right. But all they were establishing is that they're approaching the fiddler's green. And I don't know, there could have been another, like, I don't know, it would have been cool if maybe he had just made the movie about the zombies. And, you know, at the end, I don't know, maybe at the end, the humans come up, uh, the humans show up and it's like, oh, now they're they're actually the bad guys. But I don't know, Uh, kind of reminds me, total tangent, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite, like, uh, villain uh, examinations ever is on, there's an episode of Batman the Animated Series about Killer Croc, but the entire episode is about killer croc and he like goes and joins the circus and like finds people that accept him at the very end, Batman shows up to apprehend him and take him back to Arkham, but you've kind of grown to like him. And now Batman's kind of the bad guy. So I don't know. I kind of wish that he had done something similar uh, with this, but yeah, it it, it doesn't make, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. We just keep cutting back to the zombies coming across each individually pathetic defense. Yeah. Like, (laughs) Oh, here's a, here's a, some plywood. I wonder if we can get through that. Well, they can. Here's a chain link <laughs> fence. We can knock it down. Yeah, here's a um, here's a river. We can just. It's, jump it's into a miracle it. this place has lasted as long as it did, and there's no reason why all these zombies are following Big Daddy. Right. No, well, because know, he's yelling at them. He, yeah. He's in zombie. In zombie, he's saying, "Follow me to a feast." <laughs> it would have made. I mean, it would have made more sense. It would have gone against the the theme of the movie and everything, but it would have made more sense if Sholo or someone was making it easy for the zombies to to do this to to come along maybe get an ice cream truck and play a jaunty single or something and <laughs> jingle and take them there because but yeah you know because then we get to we get to the fight the big final fight which really should have been more than it i don't want to say more because i think it's too much as it is but it should have been we should have more had the sense of there's fighting the zombies there's the revolutionaries fighting the upper crust. There's the upper crust fighting the zombies and the revolutionaries. And, you know, so it's kind of like a three-way match going on. But instead, it was just a big cluster of. Yeah. Also, yeah. you know, it, it didn't even occur to me until we are talking about it right now. But, like, Big Daddy seems, like, very satisfied that he's kind of finished his mission after he kills Kaufman. And, yeah. like, no how, reason. how did... Which which would make sense if you understood that Kaufman sent the people who shot all the zombies to begin with, but that actually makes no sense at all. <laughs> no. Even a smart zombie could not reason that out, so I don't know. <laughs> makes no sense. Did, did uh, Kaufman uh, stiff him on a tip back in the day when he was uh, the gas station maybe. attendant? Yeah, maybe. Oh, that'd, that'd be funny. I had nothing to do with the fact that he was killing all his friends. He was just... Yeah, Kaufman, uh, Kaufman was an asshole to him at some point. Um, <laughs> so last thing before we move on, I'll mention about Eugene Clark just because I, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, he, he So he's been in a ton of stuff. He's a working actor. But uh, most significantly, he, he appeared in the Tech War TV movies in the early 1990s. Does anyone anyone remember uh, Tech was, War? Were, were those the ones that William Shatner was yeah. in charge of? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> William Shatner wrote a series of books, then they made a series of TV movies that he... Are you I using believe, your air quotes again wrote, when you say wrote? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he wrote and directed and started. Anyways, oh, I just think no. that's hilarious. Tech War, quintessential 90s TV sci-fi. But, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to one of the other featured zombies that I really like. Speaking of uh, flimsy plywood barriers that can be cut down by a butcher's knife, 
which uh, conveniently enough, Boyd Banks played the butcher in this movie. So I, I knew that I, rec- even despite all the makeup, I was like, man, he looks really, really familiar. And I, I realized after I looked him up, he looked familiar because the year prior to this, he had co-starred or he had appeared in, I should say, the Dawn of the Dead remake as Tucker. Yeah. I, I don't know if you guys remember that as, as well as I, I actually really like that movie. So I, uh, he, oh, I like it better than this one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's, he's one of the guys who shows up in the, in the, in the uh, truck uh, at the, like the end of the second act in, mm. you know? Yeah. So he's like the guy in the hat. Uh, but uh, he also seems really cool. He's, he's like a, a, I guess he's like a working actor. He's been in like a billion things. Uh, but he was in Dawn of the Dead, so I thought he's that got was 131 cool, but... credits. So yeah, yeah. But the other the other significant roles uh, that I wanted to call out was he also played the role of Fat Lou in Jason X, uh, a classic. Oh. And then he, he would also uh, after this he would go on to appear in Diary of the Dead and one of I, I think honestly probably my favorite non Romero zombie movie uh, Pontypool, and uh, he oh. he'd actually. Oh. Yeah, he'd actually uh, appeared in one of uh, Romero's earlier films, uh, Bruiser, in uh, 2000. So, <clears throat> which I actually haven't seen. But uh, I don't know. Does it's anyone? It's an odd I, little movie, Bruiser. Yeah, I, I I've, for some reason I I never saw it because I remember when it was coming out and I you know, I was just getting his stuff and I was like, oh man, he has a new movie coming out. But it wasn't released like anywhere, and I just for some I don't know I had just haven't gone back and watched it, but mm-hmm. maybe someday. So uh, I don't I don't really actually have anything to say about Boyd Banks in this. I mean he's you know whatever he's a zombie he you know he has got that knife. He didn't really do a whole lot, but I actually do love him in some other movies. So I just wanted to mention mm-hmm. him. I love him, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, any any you guys have anything to say about Boyd Banks or the Butcher? <laughs> it's, it, it is kind of you know this is something else that I've complained about, but I understand this is part of the zombie tropes. How when everyone turns into a zombie, they are apparently in the middle of doing whatever it is that they get yeah. a paycheck for. So yeah. if you if you're a clown, look, if you're an actual yeah. clown, you spend most of your life. In fact, I would say the vast majority of your life not being a clown. So that's probably well, what you're going to look on, like when you depends die. Depends on how depends on how committed you are to your craft, Bill. <laughs> and unless unless you're killed on the very first day of the zombie apocalypse, I can't <laughs> imagine there's any scenario where you ever dress up like a clown again. <laughs> when the world is falling zombie, apart. Zombie you know, apocalypse is going on, but man, I got to make this birthday party. So that's right. Uh, I need um, the money I, for the trip to Canada. But every so everyone is doing whatever it was. I'm surprised he didn't have like someone else with like a big fancy French chef hat on, and then someone else making candles. Yeah. So we'd have a butcher, a baker, and a candlestick maker. You know, just put all the puns in there. Doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, everyone. Yeah. You know. It's actually sure. it's actually funny because uh, the uh, speaking of the the uh, uh, the clown zombie, uh, Pedro Miguel or was talking about like apparently he has a like deep fear of of clowns. And one night he was like coming back from the shoot and he was going through like uh, like, I guess, all the uh, trailers. And I guess he turned a corner and he saw the guy who was the clown zombie was there and he just like totally noped out and went the other way. <laughs> so <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so yeah i love i love i do love the fact yeah he's the butcher and of course he's he's I, this is this is like years after the zombie apocalypse so he has held on to this butcher knife for several years so that's uh i guess dedication if nothing else sure what about the scene so so let me play with this for a minute because i had an yeah. idea once it's never going to come to fruition because zombied out but um 
what if zombies are kind of like a, a colonial mind, you know, where, where they're, they're observed individual zombies are kind of stupid and everything, but there is, they're capable of maybe learning as evolving together. Cause the scene where big daddy picks up the jackhammer and then all of a sudden everyone's like, we can use tools and they're picking up oh, yeah. hammers <laughs> and shovels and everything Throwing else. down their tambourines. Yeah, so I, I I had an idea once of a, an island where all the zombies that after you know we win the zombie apocalypse and all the zombies are pretty much tossed onto islands and stuff, and um, people go there to hunt for them because they're dicks like that, and it turns out that the zombies are are becoming intelligent in the same way that like an ant colony becomes intelligent. You know, each one of them is not particularly bright, but together they're beginning to learn and they're almost getting to that. Do you remember that stupid hypothesis years ago about the one hundredth monkey? Uh, supposedly yeah, I don't think so but please some, yeah, some monk okay the story goes monkeys on this island were like they would throw rice in the sand for the monkeys and the monkeys would have to pick through the sand to get the rice very you know takes forever and then one monkey figured out that if you took a handful of the rice and sand and threw it in the water the sand would sink and the rice would float to the top and you could just skim them off and eat them all and within a few weeks all the monkeys were doing that they learned from each other okay fine but okay, so here's where it gets into new age hoodoo. At, apparently, on other islands, unconnected to this island, the oh, monkeys start learning that as well. Once a certain number of monkeys on the one island learned this, it began to spread even to places that they were not in direct contact with. So this was part of this hive mind idea, and this was a brief fad back in the new age uh, movement that if every you know if everyone believed in peace. Everyone would suddenly become peaceful or something. Yeah, it was it was such nonsense. Because if it were true, I could I could speak Chinese because I think there's a there's a critical mass of people who speak uh, Chinese yeah, now, yeah. and I I am not waking up in the morning able to speak Chinese, so didn't work. But maybe it could with zombies. Because what the hey? There's there's some magic involved here. They're not they're obviously not eating enough to sustain this level of activity, and yet they are still shambling around. They're not falling apart. They, they're not photosynthetic as near as I can figure out. So really it doesn't make a lick of sense. So maybe there's some psychic stuff involved. Anyway, they all figured out at the same time how to use a shovel. So there, I think this bears further investigation. <laughs> yeah, that's actually very true. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I love how there, there's a montage of them all picking up yeah. implements yeah. at the same time. They needed some jaunty montage music and dun, dun, yeah. we got a montage. Yeah, everyone yeah. picking up something. There'd be that one zombie that would pick up something totally useless and we'd all laugh at him. The others yeah. would point and chuckle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Big Daddy would point and go, because that's also <laughs> how he laughs. Yeah. And they break, they break <laughs> into the place. The place is made out of safety glass. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. If there are zombies anywhere in the world, I do not have safety glass in my wherever I'm living. I don't think I have glass at all. I think I have iron bars crisscross to the point where they would have to be the size of your pug puppy yeah. to squeeze through the bars. <laughs> well, now now you could say that's part of the commentary there, which is they thought that they were safe and that was part yeah. of the illusion. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, I got I mean, they had a lot of faith in that plywood, obviously. Yeah, that, that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so a couple of other zombies I just wanted to call out here. Uh, the zombies in the photo booth at the uh, where, where, you know, the zombies, uh, the, the, the cage fight is. And there are the zombies that are like people are taking pictures yeah. of them. Uh, of course, uh, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright 
which is kind of funny because Uh. they they did like a little mini doc, I guess, at the time. And those guys like, you know, everyone knew like, oh, yeah, it's the guys from, you know, who did Shaun of the Dead. And it's just it's very, very funny that Edgar Wright. I mean, he looks like he's like 12 and, you know, he's basically like, uh, and, you know, George Romero was very gracious. Like, you know, he met them and he was all like, I guess he wanted them to be in the movie because he saw Shaun of the Dead and he loved it and all. But Aww. it's just very funny that they're like, that was like the beginning of their careers. No one had a clue who the hell they were other than the guys who made Shaun of the Dead. And, uh, you know, obviously both got on to do a bunch of stuff. And I, yeah, I thought that's pretty cute. And uh, yeah, yeah. George Romero, there's like a, a video of him where he's like greeting them and he's like, oh, yeah, I have like a sh- he has like a Shaun of the Dead pin on his uh, his vest and everything. So it's very sweet. Sweet. And then I did not even recognize them at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I no, I, well, it's actually I only, funny because, I only knew it because I was looking for him. I wouldn't have recognized. Yeah. Him yeah. It's, it's funny because every time I watch that, I can't help but think that Simon Pegg in that uh, in that scene looks a lot like Bub. So for some reason, I always oh. make that connection. Yeah. Interesting. I mean. It's just, it, I mean, I guess it's just like the way his like face is shaped or whatever, but, or, and then the, how they put the makeup on. So now we, do, uh, we do have one zombie that may be an actual callback to an earlier. Movie. Yeah, that was actually the next one. But if you, you want to mention. No, him, go ahead. Go right no. ahead. Yeah. No, um, he, I'm talking. Well, about you. Uh, he's still there. He's, he's got a machete. It's Tom, yeah. the man Savini as machete zombie. No. I've given him way more time, but. Yeah. Yeah. So that's him. The, but that's potentially cool. if if you take it as canon the first time that a character in any of these movies has shown up in a subsequent uh uh installment. So or subsequent as I like. Subsequent. To say. I'm sorry. Yes, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say something but I didn't want to be a jerk, but thank you for that. <laughs> um so yeah, that's that's pretty fun. Yeah, he shows up for for one shot and then, you know, slices some guy. But yeah, yeah it's fun it's a fun callback. So I guess he wasn't mad that they didn't have him do the makeup. You know, it's f- okay. So it's kind of funny. So the the guy I can't remember his name for the uh, for the life of me, but the guy who did Document of the Dead came back to do a very short little. Is doc. that Ray uh, Frumkies? Ah, uh, yes. I uh, think yeah. Uh, or Roy or Ray Frumkies? Ray, yeah, Roy, yeah. Ray, yeah. Yeah. Either way, it's R Frumkies. Uh, came back to do right because uh, he had a uh, document of the dead. Is he had? I guess he. I think it was like a film student at the time, and he had shot some footage on the set of Dawn of the Dead back in like '77. So he came back and did a little doc called Dream of the Dead for Land uh, for Land of the Dead, and it it's all about. It's basically centers on because he was there at the same time as Tom Savini was on set, and maybe it's just because I know who I kind of like know Tom Savini's reputation and I kind of know the history of, you know, his history with these films and Greg Nicotero's history. But Mm -hmm. there seems to be just a, there, there's a weird energy about it, but maybe it's just me. Like when Mm -hmm. he's on set though, it just feels like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, project or i don't want to make assumptions but yeah it, it it's actually I, I think it's great that they brought him back i i you know yeah it's, it's great that he was willing to come back and he wasn't like you know no fuck you why you know <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. is the guy that i trained doing the makeup on this movie so uh but yeah so it's it's a fun callback anyways i, I don't want to i don't want to pick on tom zavini here i just knowing no, everything you wanna i know pick, about if you want to pick on someone pick on roy frumkies because he apparently <laughs> is in uh He's in Me Too Hell with uh, Azia. Oh, so. w- wait, wait, are you kidding? You're making a joke now, right? I am not making, I don't joke about that. I wouldn't. Uh, wait, what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't. He he was um, 
a longtime professor at the School of Visual Arts. Okay. He was he was terminated after student complaints. Oh, I'm sorry. Sexual I'm sorry. misconduct. Policy. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no. Who did I, you I, think I, I was talking about? I no, no, no. I I thought that you. I thought that. <laughs> I thought there was there was something between him and Ashia Argento. I was like, oh, he wishes now. Yeah, like he, he was no, in it with no, her, no. but like, yeah, like with yeah, her, okay. Like oh, now this is more on the lines <sighs> of if you want a good letter of recommendation, come visit my apartment, kind of thing. Uh, to students. Yeah, not cool, not cool, Roy. Yuck. Okay, I liked I liked his stuff too, but uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I also wonder if if Savini really was all that interested in in doing this because so much of the effects are digital which is right. the first time romero did that yeah and well, there is something else that i kind of i kind of don't like and not because i'm just i'm a big uh, practical fan because the effects look good in this the, the gore effects yeah. and everything are, are good i feel like there's too much of them and part of the reason there's too yeah. much of them is that it's easy to do them when you don't have to like spend the whole day setting up you know squibs and blood and everything else and you got to clean the set when you're able to just do it with the push of a button and a bunch of pixels mm. it becomes very tempting to do it and do it and do it and that's how i feel this was this movie had more people killed by zombies than all of his other movies combined but the difference is in all those other movies most of the ones who got killed by zombies they were characters they were yeah. characters in the movie these are just nameless people they're they're strictly fodder um yeah. and it has no emotional resonance with me i mean do we do we want to talk a little bit about the the, the effects because i i i know that like watching uh, behind the scenes stuff like romero and nicotero both said that they wanted to do stuff as much stuff like practical as possible which i i mm -hmm. believe but man there yeah. is definitely a lot of uh cgi stuff it, honestly it's like a lot of it too is like uh, the so like okay there, there's one the one zombie that I actually kind of really like and they said that they tried to do it practical and they couldn't which is the priest zombie whose head is it basically is just connected to like <laughs> his body by like a couple strands of tissue I thought that was kind of cool yeah. that's, that's a great kill because you know he he kind of like flips his head forward oh my right. god and, that and was the cool. fact that he gets shot through the body to get the head shot I don't know yeah. but um, it's so terrible but when I saw that it made me think of that ball in a cup. <laughs> Ah, that's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly wow. It. The greatest oh toy God. ever. <gasps> ball in a cup. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Oh my <laughs> God. You are you guys old enough to have actually ever amused yourself with ball in a cup? Well, I was I was poor as a kid, so yes, I had the ball <laughs> yeah. in a cup. And and All my right. God, 30 years later, I'm still trying to get that goddamn ball in the goddamn cup. <laughs> I'm well, you know what? It taught it. Listen, it taught you some character. It taught you, you know, like <laughs> it did. easy oh, gratification, man. and and it taught you that no matter how hard you try, it's very likely that you will fail. And I think that's, oh, that's a good thing true. for people to know, because kids today just think that they can do any damn thing they want. It's <laughs> just going to fall in their lap, you know. Bitcoin, whatever. They can't explain it, but they know they're going to get rich on it. <laughs> so yeah, ball in the cup. Oh, I think things went to hell when ball in the cup stopped being a thing. Yeah. That and the and the little guy with the uh magnetic beard that you could like draw oh, on man. and uh yeah. Yeah. Uh man, hours of entertainment. I'm gonna laugh every if I ever watch this movie again, I'm just gonna like laugh now because that's all I'm gonna be able to think about. So thank you for that. And hopefully everyone oh, else God. listening, if anyone listening watches it again, that's uh They'll, they'll have the same memory so how about how about the God. zombie the legless zombie that had to be a yeah. practical effect 
dude. Yeah, yeah that, that was a that was a practical effect. That was a, uh, a you know someone who just didn't have legs. So kind of yeah. irritated yeah. me though. I'm like, now all of a sudden this bitch can climb ladders. Like, come on. Yeah. Well, hey, man, upper body strength. Right? Upper body like, strength. If that's all you got to work with, you're going to be pretty strong. That, that zombie's been working out. Um, I got <laughs> mad respect for anyone who like you know has some physical problem but is able to turn that lemon into lemonade by using yeah. it in, in any kind of project you know that's cool i don't mean this person that doesn't right you mean the, mind, you mean the zombie like a oh, zombie, zombie all of a sudden yeah. that doesn't know how like stairs work all of a sudden can climb a ladder yeah they're evolving yeah yeah they're you evolving. know what it is i think i think i think what the zombies needed was just a little encouragement. You know, they've been they've been put down their whole existence and everything. Yeah. They probably I'm just a zombie. I'll never amount to anything. And then Big Daddy comes along as like, well, this guy seems to be on the ball. You know, maybe maybe I too can be more than just a shambling zombie. I'm putting down the tambourine. I'm picking up this gun. I don't know how to use it, but but I'll learn. And then and then he shows the the, the girl yeah. how to use it. And yeah, okay, oh, she's true. not very good. She shoots that yeah. guy pretty much, you know, in the foot, the the tibia, the crotch, the I mean, stomach. But, yeah, she gets but, him in the crotch. This is the most important. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, so what you're saying is everyone just needs a big daddy in their life to help That's them. That's right. Along. You need help someone them to be just the best. The best yeah, can be. Yeah, be the best you can be at anything. Yeah. yeah so. so can I, can I, do, do we have any other zombies we want to talk about, like specifically or anything else uh, dealing with zombies? Or can I go on one final tirade? Oh, I like it. Go do on. It tie right away okay so so this is uh, this is another thing again this is kind of something I, i'm you know far too much in my own head i definitely don't know better than george romero about you know the direction these this story could have taken or this this uh this world should have taken but you know what i really would have liked to see because i think this is another thing that i'm i kind of have a problem with this the the whole thing about big daddy like relearning how to be a person and, and remembering all this stuff i think i think that i think there's a big missed opportunity here because i really like rewatching this and thinking again just kind of think about this one and day and kind of how they you know they kind of go together and the stuff that day was kind of building but I, I kind of wish that he had gone in a different direction because i think the thing that i i've kind of come to the conclusion that the, the thing that I don't love is that he's he's basically saying and, you know, especially at the end where they're like, oh, yeah, they're just trying to find their, you know, their a place uh, to be safe or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like so. So basically, you know, Romero's saying that the zombies have become this new species, but then he doesn't really try to investigate like what that actually entails, because the, the mm-hmm. his whole thing about zombies is they're a new species, but they're also just trying to like remember and relearn how to be humans. And so I don't know. Well, and then again, this is, this is total, like this is totally like not actually related to the movie, but I was just like watching this. I was just thinking like, man, I really wish that he had kind of investigated that more and been like, okay. And, and these are words that I never thought would leave my lips. And I can't believe that I'm saying this, but this is actually <laughs> something that I think that army of the dead did better because in that movie, like it is kind of an I am legend situation where mm-hmm. these these they used to be people and now they kind of they're still maybe semi sentient and they're still like forming or they're they're reforming the society. But it's this weird fucked up alien society that has nothing to do with who they were previously. And I think that that's actually kind of interesting. I mean, as much as I hate that movie, mm-hmm. 
I think that, and that's something that other, I think other like zombie, like there, there are a lot of books that have done that, that have kind of investigated like, okay, if zombies are still, you know, they used to be humans, but now there's something else. But what is that something else? And I think that's another, right. another just, this is a huge missed opportunity here because ultimately it's just like, oh, they're just relearning all the things that they needed to do before. And that's basically it. No, that's, so, that's, I don't know. that's an interesting premise because humans are naturally social animals. Um, and all animals have some kind of, you know, I don't want to say society, but some, some, any, any kind of social animal ha has figured this out on, on some way of living. Even cats, you have clouders of cats. What would be, what would the zombies come up with? It wouldn't necessarily, it would almost certainly not be the same thing that they were before. That, that ship has sailed. So what is a zombie society? How do they function? Um, once we've established that they're more than just eating machines, they're not sharks. <laughs> yeah. And, and in <laughs> things like walking dead, they are, they're basically sharks. They, their only function is to, you know, move, find something to eat. They don't even reproduce <laughs> in any right. normal sense of the word, unless you want to argue. And, and I don't know that anyone's ever done this, that, that the compulsion for zombies is not actually hunger. Oh yeah. Need to make more zombies. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, I think you found your next, uh, unproduced. There we go. Script oh, that, that sounds that like could be really, really go yeah. off the rails. Oh yeah. yeah. Night of uh, the horny yeah. zombies. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, Yikes. I wasn't, I wasn't going down that Avenue, but yeah, mm. sure. Uh, that, that too, yeah. I guess if, if you want to <laughs> hit, hit, if you want to hit a certain market. So yeah. <laughs> I, uh, is there anything else we want to talk about uh, with the zombies, or do we want to leave the land of the dead and enter the land of Romero? I'll, yes. I'll take Go I'll take it. silence. Yeah, yeah, as a yes. Yeah, silence um, is so, a scent in this case. Yeah. So, <laughs> God. So <laughs> a couple of <laughs> things. Uh, just a couple of things I wanted to mention that I thought were kind of interesting. So. Obviously, uh, Fiddler's Green is based on Pittsburgh, and I, I think like uh, they they actually like Pittsburgh is in there uh, in a couple of the. Uh, it basically is Pittsburgh, like the shots of the city mm -hmm. when they show like the uh, the river and everything like that is Pittsburgh, uh, which we've talked a lot uh, on the previous episodes about like how ingrained Romero was. Like he was he lived in Pittsburgh and he worked in Pittsburgh, yeah. but he was like he was all about casting locals and shooting locally and doing all that stuff. But I think it's kind of interesting that this movie, I, and I hadn't actually thought of it before I really started uh, doing research for this episode, but you can actually break this series up into two trilogies. You have kind of the, the Pittsburgh trilogy, and then you have kind of like the, I guess you could call it the Toronto trilogy, because mm. apparently Romero actually moved to Toronto after he made this movie, because the, I guess the, the uh, industry had kind of uh, dried up in Pittsburgh, you know, he mentioned that they had, yeah. uh, I guess there was a lot of filmmaking around there. And then after, I think he said that, you know, they had a huge year, like around the time that they did like Silence of the Lambs. But after that, I guess it kind of dried up and the, the, the industry moved away and it was just harder to do like those homegrown films. Whereas obviously uh, Canada had like a, a huge film industry because it was a lot cheaper to shoot stuff up there because uh, oh. the Canadian dollar is worth about as much money as money is in Land of the Dead. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, Canada. Uh, oh, we can... love Canada. But it yeah. is it is funny when you see like rumble in the Bronx and there's like the Canadian mountains in the background. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. You've never <laughs> yeah. been to the Bronx, have you? 
which which was funny because you you knew that it was even if I hadn't known, uh, I would have known after watching the behind the scenes because uh, they're like they're like shooting Romero sitting there in his in his chair directing, and there's a big box of uh, Tim Hortons donut holes sitting right there. Oh the yes, so, Tim yeah. Hortons. But uh, but yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting that he and you actually have you guys still, ever been to Canada? By the way, have, have either uh, of you ever been to actual I was Canada? In, I was in Canada for about two hours when I was probably like five years old, and I, my family took me to Niagara Falls. So oh my god, same Z's, yeah. but I was like uh, nine. Oh okay. I just want to say, no Canada. All I really know about Canada is Montreal, which I think is about <laughs> the most Canadian that Canada yeah. can be. Um, the the. <laughs> I'm sure the Canadians would disagree. They're funny. Uh, they the, the way they talk about it, all the other provinces. The way you know they they treat every other province like we treat West Virginia. So, yeah. but I think yeah. uh, Montreal is one of my favorite places on earth. It's yeah. it's at, if I urge you to get a chance to go up there. It's like going to Europe without actually having to hang out with actual Europeans. So yeah. all to the good. Um, little nice put, cafes. Just put that other. They're they, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like, like Europe, but you don't have to hang out with Europeans. Like, <laughs> they should, no, I, seriously, if I were Montreal, I'd have a big oh. sign. It's France without the French. I mean, you're gonna have to, <laughs> you're gonna have to build another bridge oh. for all the I people think, that are gonna be going there. Because you know, Quebec would be like, wait, what the hell, man? Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, it's, a, it's, oh it's an awesome place, and I, I'm sure oh. George loved it there. Um, yeah, very cool. Now. You know, you want to escape during the winter time, much like if you live in Florida, you want to leave during the summer. But but <laughs> yeah. uh, Canada is a great place, so I, I, I'm sure it's it's not only uh, I'm sure they had a good time filming there. It's just it's well, kind of just a nice chillax it's, atmosphere. It's funny you mentioned that because they absolutely did not have a good time filming there. Because oh, you mentioned, really? You mentioned oh. winter. Uh, oh. They shot this. They shot this movie in October and November in Toronto. Okay, listen. At Look, night, okay, dudes. The, the calendar has been pretty set in stone for a few thousand years. I got no sympathy. It's like, oh, wee -oh, wee -oh, wee -oh. I invaded the oh. Soviet Union and then the winter happened. It's like, well, listen, Adolf, that was kind of oh. going to happen. You're not the first person to make that classic blunder. I mean, come yeah. on. You, you know what Canadian so, winters are like. Jeez. Yeah, I, I, getting back to like uh, what I said at the beginning where I was like, I, I didn't find a whole bunch about the making of this film, but I, watching these documentaries where everyone was mentioned okay it's funny because everyone mentions how yeah. awful and grueling the shoot was but ultimately like yeah it was a lot of fun which i think goes to show just like working with george romero like no one has a bad word to say about it even when they were shooting these horrible conditions which uh especially the people who had to be in the uh in those the scenes where the, the zombies are coming oh out of the god water, because oh that was uh, yeah that, those were like out that was like an outdoor pool where they were shooting in the middle of the night and uh apparently it was <sighs> terrible but um, I, I so but my my suspicion is my suspicion is and, you know, this just having some very, very vague idea about how like the, the movie industry works. My suspicion is uh, somehow like he got funding, but the funding required that he made the movie in a certain amount of time. Oh, and so he had to go, had shoot to go it do it in in the. Yeah, that, that would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, mm. it, watching watching all the all the everyone talk about it, I was like, but but you it was you knew it was Canada, <laughs> and you you knew that it was it was winter, and you knew that like ninety nine percent of the movie takes place during the night. So um, yeah, you, you couldn't have predicted yeah. this. But I'm sure they. Guess. It's funny that they all you know remember it fondly in, in that sense. But that's that's survivor yeah. sentimentality you know when you, when oh, you yeah, get 100%. through something oh my but, god but i guess that, the other thing oh that, that scene in the water that scene in the water totally did not work 
because oh, yeah. the idea is they have walked across here and now they're getting to the shallow stuff. But what it looked like is they were all like underwater hanging onto a rock and then on right. cue, they which would slowly they just like yeah. lift their heads up and stand up in the shallow Which is water. what they did, yeah. Which is exactly what they did. Yeah. yeah. When, yeah, he, when Lace, like true. head rose up over the water, I almost died. <laughs> like he's like a frog man in yeah. like the military <laughs> Yes, yeah. I mean, it's a cool, I, it's a cool image. I was going to say, um, it's actually it a very, the, yeah, it ha is actually really creepy. I do love it. It makes no sense, but yeah. Exactly. Like, no, if that, it were in any <laughs> other movie, it would be great. Like, this is the first time any of them have ever thought about actually jumping in the water and seeing what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's yeah. like Wonder Woman suddenly discovering she can fly. It's like, okay, that would have come <laughs> yeah. in useful a whole lot earlier. But, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? Like you said, you just, they, they needed Big Daddy to lead them. So they, yeah, they... Big Daddy. Who's the guy who throws you in the swimming pool and teaches how to swim? Big Daddy. Big Daddy. <laughs> um, that's not weird at all. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, just talking about the the production, I had a I had a couple of quotes that I found. Uh, There's an interview with Romero, and I think this actually gets to kind of the core of why this film doesn't quite feel like a George Romero film as much as the other ones. I mean, granted it was 20 years since he had made day. So obviously mm -hmm. he was going to kind of, you know, change and grow. But uh, I, I did find one quote that I wanted to read because uh, the, the question from the reviewer or the interviewer is uh, from what we've read, it seems like you didn't enjoy the production much. Uh, and he said, I didn't know. I just didn't enjoy the process. It was just too big. Once you have all the stars and all the other stuff that comes with that, their own makeup people, the certain caterer and certain type of food they have to have, everything just mushrooms. It gets crazy. It gets way out of hand. I like the film, but it was just hard to keep a lasso on it. Uh, if you lose just a little bit of control, they keep taking little pieces out of your hands. So I, I think that that's like, I've always felt like this one does feel like, I mean, it has some of those Romero uh, qualities to it, but it also just like, if you showed me, the, if you showed me Dawn and Day especially, and then this, and I knew nothing about any of these movies, uh, and you asked me, like, you know, who who directed these? Or, you know, I would probably say, well, I, I can tell that the first two were directed by one person. I don't know who, you know, and the mm -hmm. second one, was, or the third one was done by someone else. But, so, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. So even he kind of, this was a, this was, I think, a couple of years after the movie came out. So I think even he kind of recognized that it was, uh, it was it was kind of working with the budget that he had. Like like you said, Bill, it was great that he finally got the money that he he wanted, but yeah. it was also kind of to his detriment because maybe he just you know some some directors are. I mean, you know, you look at a, a director like George Miller who started out making like a super cheap movie like Mad Max and made a hundred fifty million dollar movie like Fury Road and it worked out great. But some directors just can't make that jump. So I don't know. Well, you know, we've talked about this before that I think the movie business has just changed so much. You have yeah. filmmakers who start out making really low budget movies, you know, even even by standards back then, low, low budget. They made some really good stuff, achieved art, worked their way up the ladder, making big Hollywood productions. And then for whatever reason, maybe their career cools off and they can't get a project made. And I'm thinking you could make a movie for the cost, even adjusted for inflation that you did that first movie. I mean, you, yeah. you have enough of a name that you could go fund me or something and make a million dollar movie, but they can't do it. And and I don't know that maybe the the business has just changed so much that it's just not possible. Or is it just one of those things where once you've, once you do certain things, you can't go back. You know, right. you, you didn't know any better when you started out. 
but you can't go back. It's it's unimaginable that you would go back. I can't imagine teaching with the technology that I started out with 25 years ago. Right. You know, like I'd be. Yeah. What do you mean? I don't have the internet or a projector uh, uh, or, you know, or a copying machine. I got to use transparencies. What are we uh, cavemen? You know, like. <laughs> I don't know what, you know, and, and it, I'm sure it's much, much worse with something as totally technological as filmmaking. Hmm. Yeah, but, I, I yeah, guess we, I, I guess we will get into that in our, our sub, subsequent episodes <laughs> because he, he did go, he did, he did go back he did to go simpler, a cheaper uh, or a smaller budget on, yeah. on the, the next two movies. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, a couple of, I just wanted to mention, I, you know, I usually talk about crew, just a couple of people I wanted to call out. Uh, Matt Berman was the second director, uh, unit director on this, and then he would go on to work on Diary and Survival. And that is actually uh, he he was also in uh, all these movies. Uh, he he was the guy when uh, uh, Dennis Hopper calls the security guard in because Cholo's mm-hmm. like uh, he wants to get rid of Cholo. That's that's Matt Berman, and apparently he he did he just does like a billion things in all all these movies. So I thought that was kind of cool. His name will also come up in a, in a later section. And then uh, music was by Reinhold Reinhold Heil, Heil and Johnny Klemek. I guess they were a, a composing duo. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to talk about the music just briefly because I actually kind of like it. I don't think it's as memorable as any of the other mm-hmm. movies, but I, I do like there's the, the one thing I do kind of like is the fact that there are a couple of scenes where there's this kind of very like somber, sad quality to the music. And I don't know, I kind of I kind of like that because it actually does like if anything else, it kind of captures the kind of, I don't know, depression of kind of living in this really awful world, you know, of, of where zombies are eating people. So um, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on on music at all or if it I even didn't registered. notice it really that yeah. much. I didn't either. Okay. And I um, honestly I do pay more attention to the score now than I used to, um, right. but I just really did not notice that. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. It's not it's not super uh, like in your face. I think it's just because I I remembered parts, some of the music cues uh, from back in the day. So they still kind of stood out to me. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to mention uh, Miroslav Barsak, uh, or Basak, probably uh, horribly mangling <laughs> that name. Yeah. But uh, the uh, the director of photography on this, I actually think this movie, even though it doesn't have that kind of iconic look mm-hmm. of some of his earlier movies. I actually do like the way this movie shot. I do like just kind of like the color palette. And yeah. I think it is, I think it's actually a very well shot film, but uh, he would go on to shoot again. Uh, one of my, you know, favorite zombie films of all time, Pontypool. And he would also work <laughs> on the, the strain, which is a really fun TV show. Yeah. Um, it was also kind of interesting. He was the director of photography uh, on the second unit of the Dawn of the Dead remake. So I think the, photo- I think the cinematography is excellent. I do yeah. have a little bit of a, too much of the movie is shot in the dark. It's it's well, well shot in yeah, the dark, yeah. But it it tends to hide the the effects and everything, which yeah. may have been a deliberate choice. That if this were if this were in the sterile white fluorescent lights of say Day of the Dead, um, they would have gotten their X rating because there's a lot of evisceration right. and all kinds right. of things here. But because it's it's more or less uh, in the shadows, it doesn't seem quite as literally visceral. Yeah. Which, which I actually kind of wish they hadn't done that. And I think I talked about this some on our Day of the Dead episode, but one of the reasons my favorite part of that 
the you know the opening of that movie is like it's it's in the middle of the day and it's like traditionally you know the the idea is that horror is best in the dark because what you can't see and you know what what you don't know or you don't understand is is the scariest but i actually do love the i, I like i am a big fan of daytime horror uh, just mm-hmm. the idea that you know like oh it's the middle of the day but something is still scary and something can still you know uh hurt you or threaten you and that's one of the reasons i love that opening because it's just like it's the middle of the day in a city and you know you can see all the zombies whereas yeah this one is just man sometimes like you said it's kind of it's it's kind of like things are just obscured a little bit and i actually kind of wish that they had just set more of it during the day Hmm. i don't know also we didn't mention this i'm sorry i'm going to backtrack a little bit because uh this is actually something I meant to mention while we were talking about the dead, but oh man, I, I, I can't get over the stupid decisions that some of these characters make. Uh, we didn't talk about the character, but Mouse, I didn't write down his the, the name of the, the actor, but uh, seems like a perfectly good actor. I, you know, he's only in there for a few minutes, but oh my God, the fact that, okay, so you, you're, they're living, he's, if you guys don't remember, he's the guy that Cholo sends to uh, pick up the money that he thinks is coming to him. And he's yeah. like in the boathouse. And it's like, okay, you, you've lived. And this is like the is young he the guy skateboarder. Too. He's the skateboarder. Yeah. Sorry. I should have just said that. He's a skateboarder. Yeah. You, you've, you, this is a young guy. So presumably most of his life has been spent in this like zombie apocalypse world. And yet he's still sitting there with like headphones on. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. you, you, uh, live, sure. you, you exist in a world where the, the like situational awareness is important at every moment of your day. And he's sitting in this dark boathouse with his headphones on. I hate for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I I just two uh, things anyways. I would not have in this world: skateboards and he- and uh, headphones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and he's got both of them. Anyways, I hate that so much. I just wanted to a skateboard. A skateboard yeah. when when there's hordes of the undead. Why don't I just get like a pogo stick or a unicycle oh. while you're at it? <laughs> and, <laughs> Oh, uh, anyways, that although it does kind of remind me of I love the scene. Uh, this is totally off topic, but I do love <laughs> the scene in uh, in the World War Z movie where they're trying not to make noise. So they get on bikes because that actually does make sense. But uh, yeah, in this movie. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. oh, that brings up another thing. If if you're uh, these these, uh, you know, raiders going out to, to get canned goods and stuff. Here's a word that should be stricken from your vocabulary. Motorcycle. Yeah. What yeah. the hell good is a motorcycle? Uh, it, I mean, it, there's I guess... a very limited amount of stuff you could put on it, and it's yeah. real easy to knock your ass off and eat you. But, but yeah. you look so cool while you're doing cool. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although, yeah, I, I will say it's kind of funny. I think that George Romero does have a thing for, like, motorcycle gangs. Between, Apparently. Between Dawn of the Dead and Knight Riders and this, I think he just yeah. loves, like, cool guys on motorcycles. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. any other uh, any other crew or any other thing we want to talk about, like behind the scenes or just the world of Land of the Dead before we move on? I did like and boy, you got to be old to get this reference, but I did like the way that Charlie uh, licks the end of his rifle because yeah. that goes all the way back to Sergeant York. Oh, that's what he did. Yes, oh. he does that. Yeah. And and I thought that was like the coolest thing. I had to have my dad explain that to me that uh, it's it's. It, it, I don't know, catches the light and you can aim it yeah. better and whatever. He took out a bunch, Sergeant York took out a, took out a bunch of Germans and uh, Charlie took out a bunch of zombies. So if it ever comes to that, I'm going to remember that trick. Yeah. I like it. 
there you go. Cool. Well, do we want to move on to our next section and kind of wrap things up? So our next section is going to be franchise and legacy. And this is kind of where we talk about where Mm. the, you know, uh, what happened after this film was released and kind of where the franchise went. So obviously this was the fourth film in the living dead series. This one, like we've mentioned, came out 2005. It uh, released in June of 2005. And like we've talked about, had a massive budget for George Romero, almost $19 million. Did okay at the box office. Did uh, yeah. Made $20 million domestically, which it broke even, which I believe in uh, in Hollywood uh, bookkeeping terms means that it lost like a billion dollars. Right, right. And, then, <laughs> and uh, overall, it did, it did about $47 million worldwide. So... It wasn't a bomb. Mm-hmm. I know that it obviously didn't do well enough for him to get an, a, that big of a budget for uh, future films. However, he did manage to get funding for two additional movies, uh, Diary of the, of the Dead and Survival of the Dead, which we will talk about soon enough. There's a video game based on this, uh, Land of the mm. Dead Road to Fiddler's Green, which I actually remember when it came out because it got hilariously panned by every single video game magazine oh, really? in the world. Yeah, apparently oh, yeah. it's supposed yeah. to be. Uh, it's, I think it's like a first-person shooter. It's supposed to be really, really awful. Oh no! <laughs> um, Good yeah. God! How hard a concept is this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, especially the fact like after this, so many like I think like Left 4 Dead came out after this. A lot of zombie yeah. games came out after this. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's does, not it, does it? I mean, you know, you're you're much more of a gamer than I am. But doesn't it amaze oh, you when when it takes like decades and decades for an idea that seems so simple to actually, you know, like. Like, if you're a Godzilla fan, it used to be just an ongoing joke about how wretched all of the video games based yeah. on Godzilla were. Like, just infamously <laughs> bad. And you're like, we're we're not asking for a lot here. Just give me a monster that looks like Godzilla and a bunch of other monsters that look like Rodan or whatever, and let's punch them. Uh, or, or do something, or smash cities. And no, they would come up with these crazy, crazy games that were not fun. And, and it just, uh, it, it took forever until finally they, you know, I, I forget which game system it was, came up with a great one that was literally just monsters punching and breathing fire on each other, which is all we ever wanted. Are, are you How could about, you screw up a zombie game? Are you talking about Rampage or are you talking about Primal Rage? No, no, but both of those, see, all the, listen, that's, that's the thing. All they had to do was take whatever the engine is for Rampage. And put Godzilla on one oh, side yeah. and King Kong on the other, and we'd be would have would have been happy. Just like when they came out with the ET game, all they had to do was take the Pac-Man game, replace the little dots with Reese's pieces, and replace Whoa. Pac-Man with ET, and they would have sold a billion. None of which would have ended up in, in, in a landfill. Yeah, but yeah. no, they had to go and and get, and get fancy. So yeah. you know, yeah. But zombie, zombie. Video games were, were made for zombie first-person shooters, and if you've got the rights to an actual Romero movie, well, golly damn, make it. Just do it. How could they screw that up? What? Is, what I, I, I'm now I'm curious to play it. Well, this was this was definitely like in the end. It's kind of actually kind of funny though because this wasn't necessarily like a huge movie when it came out, right? Like, uh, in fact, I think it was a lot of people complained that it was kind of just dumped into theaters. But uh, it, it, this does, it, I think it was kind of the, uh, the era of like really, really bad licensed games where like mm. every movie would have, every movie had a game based on it, but they were almost all awful. And you still see a lot of that, but uh, I think, you know, a lot of game companies have gotten smarter about that and have been like, oh wait, you know, we can actually like build successful game franchise, franchises alongside 
you know, film franchises. So, yeah, um, that's all I have uh, for that. Uh, the the other big thing that I wanted to mention is, so uh, Romero went on and did two additional sequels, but neither of them were like, uh, they weren't really sequels. They, I mean, they were uh, additional entries into his his zombie series, but they were not like direct sequels. However, there are actually two unmade sequels, like direct sequels to Land of the Dead that are still maybe going to happen at some point. Probably not, but we'll see. Uh, mm. I, that I just wanted to mention really quick. So the first one is Road of the Dead, which was actually a film that was written by Matt Berman, which is uh, the name I mentioned earlier. He was the second unit director. But uh, he was written by Matt Berman. This was when uh, Romero was still alive because Romero was actually going to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, was going to produce it. And I just want to read just real quick two points about this. Uh, he said that Road of the Dead is a movie he conceived and wrote based on the idea set up by Land of the Dead that the zombies are slowly evolving and remembering how to do things they learned in life, such as using tools and firing guns. Uh, again, I'm not a huge fan of uh, that, but mm-hmm. okay. Um, but then I, I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, set in the darkest and most hopeless days of the zombie apocalypse, Road of the Dead takes place on a Canadian island where the citizens are protected from the undead in exchange for being subjected to harsh laws and high taxes under the ruler Brigadier General Leon Copperhead Styles, which, uh, so that's just the plot of Land of the Dead. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I understand what is, uh, what is different. Although actually, uh, it did occur to me, uh, it says that the, the name of the character is, his nickname is Copperhead. Wasn't there a, didn't Romero? It was, that was, that was the Romero uh, yeah. superhero movie, yeah, I think, the, that, with, with Jim um, Shooter. Jim, Jim Shooter, yeah. yeah. So uh, that just suddenly occurred to me. Um, uh, he so yeah. was going to work on. There was another one he was involved with called Diamond Dead. If we ever do the yeah. unmade Romeros, oh. I'm going to have a lot to say about that one. We, yeah, we we should because yeah, there. Are, I remember that one for a long time was especially mm-hmm. like in the '90s was was uh, rumored. Um, anyways, Road of the Dead. Matt Berman uh, apparently still determined to make this movie. I think the last article I found was from like a year ago, but apparently he has not given up the idea of making this. So you know, could still happen at some point. And the other one that I wanted to mention is Twilight of the Dead, which uh, confusingly enough was originally the title of Land of the Dead. But uh, so I think uh, I think it was actually from earlier this year. I found an article that says uh, Romero is quietly working on yet another dead film titled Twilight of the Dead when he died in uh, 2017. Since then, Romero's wife, Susanna Romero, has been working with screenwriters to get the film made. And now she's ready to start meeting with filmmakers film is said to be a concluding chapter intended to be his final statement on the genre and set in a decimated world. Life has all but disappeared, but there may still be hope for humanity. So, mm. uh, don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I know that there was, I know that there was well, just the fact that, you know, th- them trying to carry on the legacy of these films with other filmmakers, I guess they can't shit on it any more than some of these later movies did, but yeah, um, I know that there was also a novel that came out, I believe, last year, just called The Dead, which was, I believe, Romero was. I didn't. I should have looked this up. I, I'm just going by memory, though. I think he was, I think he was, uh, he was basically he was credited as co-writer, co-author, and there was a another writer that I guess he had been working off of his notes or something, and he basically wrote uh, this this novel that was like a, a continuation of kind of the the world building uh from the movie so um so yeah i kind of kind of interesting that i don't love this movie but apparently two separate 
sequel films are uh there there are people who love this movie enough that there are two separate sequel mm. films that maybe someday we'll see but i don't know who knows yeah um anything else any other uh, anything else anyone wants to talk about before we get I, I know once again i've been talking a lot here i apologize but uh oh, yeah, before, oh, you're fine before we get to our final you stay on talk, topic as opposed to what i do so <laughs> well you know what uh yeah i have i have a puppy i have a puppy to attend to so uh, yeah. i have to i have to stay at her time frame um <laughs> anything else anything else you guys want to talk about before we get to our, our final ratings no i'm fine renee any I'm, anything i'm trying i don't think so okay uh oh, sorry. oh. except yeah. for except for the little situation which that's like a whole thing where they're like in this thunderdome and they have these like zombies attacking each other and then they're spray painting their mouths it's like what's up with oh that? yeah all right? shiny and chrome yeah that would right? be great oh yeah that's true yeah uh, it's funny. I didn't even yeah. thought it. I although, although I did make that connection when I was like, yeah, the spray paint in the mouth, but I didn't think, yeah, it's like a Thunderdome. So yeah. mad, mad, it mad. was just it, and the people. Oh, I just that whole thing with the people were like posing with the zombies yeah. and stuff. I'm like, nobody's bothered by this. It's fine. Yeah. It's like uh, it's yeah, your yeah. dead uncle, but it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Which I kind of like because it's almost like a coping mechanism that they live in this hell, this hellscape, but they're kind of mm-hmm. trying to laugh it off. But yeah. You very interesting coping mechanisms. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking speaking of coping mechanisms, uh, do we want to get into our very final segment in this podcast, which is our rants and rankings, where we kind of give our final, uh, so we summarize our thoughts on this, and then we put a rating on it. We rate it out of five VHS tapes. And uh, yeah, so I don't know who, who wants to go first. I'll go. Um... Okay. I'm going to give it three out of five. That's and that's probably the as low as a Romero zombie movie is ever going to go. Um, it's still, you, you know, I mean, I like I like the movie for reasons other than the movie itself. Obviously, I got a lot of problems with it and with everything, all the other stuff that's come out. It doesn't have that many new ideas, um, but it's George Romero. It's it's he's been given his due. It's got a good cast. It's it looks great. It's definitely not cheap looking. So uh, it's entertaining. I, I enjoyed it. I feel like I, I guess the one thing and this is an unfair thing to do to a movie. A movie should always be judged on what they are, not what they could have been. But you feel like with mm. having had, you know, having had 20 years to think about what the next chapter would be, you'd come up with something better. It's the same disappointment I felt when Star Trek The Next Generation came out. And I think. I don't know if most people would agree with me. I thought the first season was weak. A lot of potential, but a weak first season. It made up for it in the subsequent seasons. But um, <laughs> but I got to just drive that joke into the yeah. ground. Um, but, but, you know, because I just felt like, oh, man, you know, you guys have had a long time to be coming up with stories. And it, these are just like ones that just remind this one reminds me of uh, the one from season three in the original series. I mean, there shouldn't be anything like that. These should all be just like all of them, 100% great. Yeah. So there, there's that disappointment that I feel like there could have been a better idea here. And some of the, the premise of this movie, there are some ideas that I think could have been better. It almost feels like the script was rushed, but I can't imagine that it was, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't there, but for all that, it's got a lot of good things to it. And uh, if it's not as, like I said, it's a distant fourth 
compared to, you know, of the first four films, it's a distant fourth. But even a merely okay Romero zombie movie is better than most non-Romero zombie movies. Although the Dawn of the Dead remake came out right before this one, and I, I unreservedly love that film. Yeah. Um, so I actually can't wait to talk about that one. Some, yeah. Someday, years from now. <laughs> so three, three out of five. Three out of five. Nice. Uh, Renee, do you want to do you want to do you want to go next? Sure. Um, I uh, it's funny. I was actually also going to give it a three out of five, and I guess I will give it a three out of five. Um, you know, it's not it's not my favorite. It's really just the same sentiment. It's not my favorite, um, especially the whole, you know, I'm a super emo zombie that gets really sad when all my zombie friends die. And it's, (laughs) but then it did have a lot of things that I enjoyed about it. I thought the actors were great. And I thought I really enjoyed like the big zombie killer bus mobile. Thought that was fun. Um, You know, and I thought about, you know, if if they'd kind of cut certain parts out of it, would I have liked it more? Yeah. Um, Did I like the actors and the acting? I did. Again, I wish they were a little bit more fleshed out and there was a little bit more stuff going on. Um, yeah, so but I will say, you know, it's I do enjoy sometimes kind of not it wasn't really a hate watch per se, but there were definitely times when I was watching it and I was just like, what the fuck is this? So, you know, it was a little bit of a hate watch and I don't mind that. I kind of enjoy that sometimes. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a three. Yeah, well, sometimes the stars align, and tonight is one of those nights, because <laughs> I am also giving this one three VHS tapes out of five, which yeah. means that, uh, you know, we have an average here of, I'm not great at math, but I believe it's three. So I was say, yeah. even I could do this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this is by far the weakest out of the first four, like Bill said. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of funny, because like I'm like, oh man, this is the weakest out of these movies. That being said, it it's still better than like 99% of all zombie movies ever made. Uh, that's mostly just because most zombie movies are actually garbage, but there are elements to this film. I really enjoy. Like I said at the top, I actually remember really liking this movie when it came out and I'm kind of like, I don't know, maybe I wasn't really dissecting it as much as I am now. I think part of it was that I was so excited to get a new movie that the fact that it was just like passable Actually, I, I was kind of like grading on a scale and the fact that it wasn't a complete, you know, pile of turds meant that I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. OK, great. Uh, but yeah, going back, watching all of these back to back to back or, you know, kind of in, in subsequent fashion has kind of made it very clear to me, like, oh, man, the, the originals still hold up so well. Mm-hmm. And that this one's just. I don't know, man, it's there like eh, uh, if if Romero had never made another Living Dead movie, I mean that's always the thing, right? Like, yeah. I was I was so excited for there to be a new movie, and I I spent years reading all the news, and I was so excited when it finally got made. But knowing what I know now, if if, if he had just retired after like the year I don't know two thousand or whatever, I, I I probably would have been fine. But so yeah, I mean it's it has its place in the series, but it's it's definitely i don't know it's it's kind of disappointing going back and watching it now and just mm-hmm. kind of seeing all its flaws but that being said uh i'll probably feel a lot more positive about this one after we talk about uh <laughs> of the dead and survival of the dead <laughs> i've actually never seen survival of the dead i hated diaries so much that really I, yeah i just i couldn't stand so i don't know maybe i'll be pleasantly surprised by that one but i'm really surprised you haven't yeah. seen that 
Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't either. But I'm really surprised you haven't seen it. Yeah, that. no, it, it really was just a matter of like, oh man, I'm I'm so yeah. disheartened with Diary. But hey, maybe the rewatch of that will make me feel different. I don't know. So going in I, with I low actually, expectations helps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. So I, I this is where I normally say what we're doing next. I don't actually know what we're doing next because the holidays are coming up, and I'm going to cut into myself here because we recorded this episode at the end of 2021 and didn't have firm plans. But now we do. Check back in two weeks for the penultimate episode of our Living Dead coverage, Diary of the Dead. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, since I can't tell you what's coming next and I can't get you excited for our next episode, what you should do if you're not already subscribed, you should go to your favorite podcast service and you should hit subscribe. And that way, whenever our next episode does come out, you can get it immediately and see what it is. You should also leave us uh, not a three, but a like we did to the for this movie, but a five star review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, because that would be fantastic. That would feel, make us feel great. And, you know, drop us some comments on uh, videostorejunkies.com. You can find our email. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Junkies Pod. We love comments on our episodes. We love to hear what you thought. Were we wrong? Were we right? Did you disagree with us on anything? Always love to read that stuff. So drop us a line and tell us how you feel about Big Daddy <laughs> in Land of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially unless you're Eugene Clark and you want to find us and uh, uh, murder us or murder me um, because uh, he seems like he seems like a very, very nice dude, but he also seems like uh, he could probably take me apart with his bare hands. So, um, yeah, so don't know what's going on. I will say we, we do know what's going on with some of our other side projects because uh, we are actually, I, I, maybe when this episode is out or very soon thereafter, I have discovered that I have even more free time than I can fill with this podcast. So, And I'm going to have to cut in on myself again here because when we recorded this episode, we actually hadn't finalized the name of the new podcast, but I will remind everyone that the name of the new show is Cult of the Cathode Ray, and you should be able to find it on your favorite podcast provider either now or in the coming days. But if you like uh, if you like zombie movies, if you like zombies, if you can't get enough zombies, and if you like Greg Nicotero's makeup, we talked a lot about how he kind of went on to do Walking Dead. Well, guess what? We are starting a rewatch of The Walking Dead from season one, episode one. That's going to be me and Renee, by the way, talking about Walking Dead. And uh, speaking of hate watches, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how long, how uh, how soon that show goes from a love watch to a hate watch. But uh, Renee, is there anywhere else, uh, anything else you want to plug or anywhere else that people can find you? No, actually, there's no one, nowhere anyone can find me. Perfect. Um, I'm still, yeah, we're, we're actually trying to find you. Uh, we, we just, we just couldn't. Uh, yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that you exist as a, as an actual person. It's true. Um, it's true. I don't even go to the store anymore. I just get the pickup service. So I'm oh, just in nice. and out. Yeah, it's great. Nice. I love it. Cool. So I can well, not count. So yeah, don't, don't look for Renee. You won't find her. However, Bill, uh, probably the most prolific person on this podcast uh deservedly what, what, so deservedly uh, so the most talented and the most prolific uh, <laughs> where else can people find you um uh decade uh, gruesomemagazine.com they do the decades of horror podcasts and uh also uh occasionally on um con carolinas uh where i've been joined by some of the very people here on this podcast and will hopefully be joined by some others as a lot of cool stuff going on. But yeah, Decades of Horror, um, the 70s and 80s on gruesomemagazine.com. Lots of other cool stuff there. Cool. And what's the, uh, do you remember the Twitch channel that uh, Con Carolina's content is on? 
Oh no. Okay, perfect. Look up Con Carolinas on Twitch. I don't even know if it is us. Twitch to tell you the it, truth. It is. I, it I, is Twitch. It is. Okay, you're right. That, that you're right. This I is know. Discord. Oh come yeah. on. There are so many things. Discord, Twitch. Uh, I don't even know what person oh. uses anymore. Just, it's okay. Look, Steam here's... Yard. Steam Yard. I have three different platforms. Oh, I'm a simple unfrozen caveman. You okay, let's just let's, these. <laughs> let's just give people the instructions here. All you got to do is go to Ask Jeeves. AskJeeves.com. <laughs> Type wow. in Con Carolina's podcast and then yeah, go to Ulta. I was gonna say Ultimate. Ulta Ultimate. Ultimate. It's like, oh no, Ask Jeeves is even better. <laughs> get on, get on. Look, look. Netscape, navigate yourself over to Twitch TV and, <laughs> and search for Con Carolina's. Take your hey. Windows 3.1 floppy disk. <laughs> oh. Or, or send us a self-addressed stamped envelope and we will send you an audio CD with all these all this content on it. Not really, but uh, it'd be funny if we did that. Um, yeah. Okay, I think I've rambled on long enough and I don't know, does anyone else have anything else to say before we officially end, conclude the Land of the Dead episode? Okay. Well, I just wanted uh, I, I, I want to say good night to everyone. Uh, hope you stay safe. Hope uh, you have, uh, you know, if we don't put out new episodes before then, we hope you have great holidays. But most importantly, yes. I wanted to end with one of my favorite quotes from Land of the Dead. This is in the third act, and the quote is from Big Daddy. It goes something like this. They'll never get across the river. They're moving toward the city. There's nothing there, man. They're communicating. They're thinking. We're going back to see if we can help. Trouble? In a world where the dead are returning to life, the word trouble loses much of its meaning. We're running out of time. George A. Romero's Land of the Dead. Zombies, man. They creep me out.